Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Jon from Bukasa. You're listening to Metal of Your Podcast. Welcome to Know Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 321, and we're going to do a two-man Tangent City today. And for the first time in a long while, we're not on the road. We're not doing this remotely. We're back at HQ1. When was the last time I was here? I don't know. Probably over a year ago. I was thinking about that because we had such a busy year this in, in 2022. I mean, probably most of the episodes of last year were recorded on the road or yeah. remotely just because we would have both have busy weeks and couldn't find time to get together. Yeah, well, listen, I lit the candles. I got a nice scented candle. I made it nice and romantic in here for us. Are you trying to seduce me? Because it's mean, working. Well, good. Goal achieved. <laughs> I had dinner with uh, some friends the other night, and they brought, a, they brought another person that I didn't know, this dude. He's in town making a record. Real nice guy. Really yeah. enjoyed him. But I did make a few of those kinds of jokes, like, like seduction jokes with him, you know? <laughs> right. And I think he... I think he maybe took it to heart because he was like, hey, I'm, I might actually like look you up later. You know, I might actually call you later. Yeah. You know, while I'm in town. And I was like, OK, baby. All right. And then he did. Oh, you mean he maybe took it. I thought you meant you, you were going with like they didn't land and he was kind of weird about it. No, he, no like, it he, landed he, big he, time. Definitely. OK. He kind of slid into my DMs after that. OK. Which is no problem. Yeah. But not gay and happily married. Sure. And, uh, and he's a nice looking guy. Nice guy. Yeah. But uh, it did remind me like maybe I should be a little more chill with that kind of joking <laughs> a little less a little more subtle well because he uh yeah he uh he was looking for a good time yeah okay well um send him my way i've got the candles burning already <laughs> totally he's outside right now actually just waiting he's waiting for the signal oh, hey come on in i'll put on a barry white record it'll be fine put on the gimp suit dude no problem i can have do a little, that have a little fun with, get a little apple <laughs> <laughs> welcome to tangent city i like fruit okay um yeah we're gonna do a tangent city because it's a busy week i'm selling my house and we're getting ready for a six-week tour we're gonna talk a lot about metallica we are yeah absolutely and as of recording this we leave town tomorrow for like four days so exactly. it's, it's very busy um uh, a lot going on mostly clint because this house thing congrats by the way that's exciting. I know it's Thank stressful, you. but uh, we're happy for you and your family. I'm going to throw a big party that only you're invited to. Hell yeah. All and, right. Uh, just be me and you in my, in my house. Me and the guy from the DMs? <laughs> yeah, you and that guy. He would love it. Yeah. I'm going to build a little cage for him, a little box he can live in. All right. Fair. Uh, my friend Bob Schneider, who before he was married, led a very colorful uh, sexual existence. He's a sex addict. Yeah. And he, um, <laughs> this is this is a lot for the podcast, okay, by well, the way. TMI? Um. He had a, a woman that he saw whenever he went through the, city, the wonderful city of Dallas. Okay. And what she wanted him to do was to, she wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. She wanted to live in a box. Oh. Okay. And it, like, a, like a little, a box basically the size of herself in the bedroom. And she wanted to just, it had a little slit in it and then he would feed her through the box and she, she just wanted to be like a box. We called her box folk. Wow, box folk, okay. And he never did it. He's like, I, I just want to 
kind of just have normal sort of consensual adult sex. I don't, sure. I don't want to. I don't want you to live in a box or anything. Yeah, I can imagine that would get very uh, that would be uncomfortable. Um, I mean, you need to stretch out your shit, right? You need to shower, brush your teeth. I mean, look, I, far be it for me to to kink shame here, but yeah, I I wouldn't want to live in a box. No, I'm cool with it. I mean, I think I would I would I would sleep in a box for one night if I you know couldn't find my way home and it was raining and right. I found a box. Right, and there would be no sexual connotations to it. It'd Zero purely survival. V- Total survival. No, had nothing sexual about it. I also don't understand the people who their part of their sexual gratification is like this really prolonged thing. Like for me, sex is something you do with someone you like, right? And it lasts a certain reasonable amount of time. I'm not. I'm not really into the tantric seventeen hour orgasm stuff. Sure. And for me, when it's done, it's like, well, let's go get a let's go get a bowl of cereal. Yeah. Let's watch a movie. Right. The prolonged. Like I like. I enjoy sex. I enjoy you know, being with my wife intimately. We do a lot of like, our sex is very light and fun and we're laughing. We just have so much history and we've been together for so long. Yeah, no boxes involved. There's no boxes and there's no like prolonged titillation. It's not like, I'm like, hey, before we have sex uh, next Tuesday, I'm going to live in a box <laughs> and starve myself so the sex is good. It's like, what? What happened to her, you know? Yeah, hey, babe, you know that trunk my grandma gave me years ago? I'm going to live in it for the next week. Make sure you lock it. Can you slide a few pancakes in there like every morning at 8? <laughs> You'll you'll know when I'm hungry because I'll yell pancakes go. <laughs> <laughs> All you took in there is of Master of Puppets cassette tape. Well, listen, this has probably been the most gnarly beginning to a tangent city. I, I know, heard. right? Really and I, bl- I blame Paul's absence because I feel like Paul brings a wholesome quality to the tangent cities where I don't know if I would have gone, even gone into these stories if Paul had been here. You know what we need to do real, real quick is just, just double check that he's, that he's not here. Paul! 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 No, he's not here. Paul, she she wanted to be in the box. In the box. Box, Paul. I guess he's not here. No, he's not here. He must be, you know, being productive at his studio or I something. I know. Wow. He has a job and everything. Crazy. <laughs> well, let's talk. We're going to do the normal housekeeping, despite my weird balances into Bob Schneider's sexual activities. Okay. Maybe we'll dip back even, even more stories Who from knows, Bob Schneider. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that we're talking about this. He probably this. does. What up, Bob? Well, he told me all these stories. I don't think he would care. Yeah. Let's talk about a few news things. We're going to think. So we got a bunch of patrons. Uh, people are digging the uh, stems. They are, yeah. Big hit so far. Which we're going to talk about some of like, uh, we got some questions about how exactly we did that. Yeah. So I figured a tangent city topic that would be interesting today would be kind of going through how we do that. Yeah, great. Someone actually DM'd me asking how you did the drums, and I'm like, well, <laughs> really? Appreciate the interest, but... um, Maybe ask the guy that... Maybe ask Ethan. Yeah, the guy that did the drums. He just wanted to talk to me, did he? Someone hit me up on Discord about how it was done, and do you know how sometimes we've been doing this for so long, you know, music, engineering, programming, whatever. Right. Sometimes you forget that when you explain it to somebody who doesn't do that right like i have you know 20 plus years of doing this kind of stuff where i don't ever consider like oh i don't think they know what i'm talking about even when i kind of simplify it mm-hmm. so i had to kind of really simplify it the other day on discord to explain it to me because i think they thought like i had drums set up and they were triggered mm-hmm. you know and then i had to explain to them there's no drums involved see i do that automatically i have very high empathy levels yeah i immediately get on the level of who i'm talking to right I thought I was, but I, I, I wasn't quite there yet. You're like, well, the, the DB was up here, and I used a flux capacitor <laughs> to trigger the... Well, that's good. So you broke it down. I broke it down. Did yeah. you give them a, like a glossary? No, I didn't give them a glossary. I just kind of like... I, I had to put myself in their shoes. Like, okay, I need... How would someone explain to me if I don't know what this was? And so... Right. I explained it very briefly. I didn't right. go into, you know, crazy long detail, but... But yeah, uh, that person should have uh, DM'd me, obviously. I mean, my theory is that I believe that they wanted to talk to me. Fair. And I think that was an excuse to talk to me. All they had to change was drums to guitar. Another person DM'd me and said, um, this is after we dropped the Screaming Suicide episode. Mm-hmm. And they said, new Metallica song's awesome. Curious what your thoughts are. Curious if you have a podcast app and you can listen to our thoughts. 
And I said, well, we just dropped a two-hour podcast about it. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but what's going on here? Yeah. I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. And she was like, they just want to talk to you. Yeah, probably. I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah. If you want to slide in someone's DMs, like ask them a question that, you know, would interest them. I like, mean, take me to dinner first. Take me to dinner. Light a few, I mean, I lit four candles. <laughs> know, dude. One of them's got three wicks. Wow, dude. We'll call it seven candles. Wait, are all those lit? All, th- all, all those are lit. Damn, dude. Like a smorgasbord of aromas in I know. Here. I mean, two of them say Day of the Dead, but I mean, I figured you like skulls, so. I do like, I think my skull phase is over. Really? Yeah, well, I had to take them all out of the studio because we had to like declutter. I hate that word, declutter. I yeah. had to make my studio less cool. Presentable, By taking I guess. shit out of it. Yeah. And it worked. We did get offers after I <laughs> took all the shit out. But yeah, I put all the skulls away and I was like, nah, yeah. I mean, I'm 39. Yeah. I've got an eight-year-old. Do I, am I, do I need skulls everywhere still? We'll see what happens when you move into the new house and all of a sudden you hear those skulls asking to come out of the box. Oh, well, in that case, I may have to, the, the house might have been built on like an Indian burial ground or something. Yeah, you may have to burn some sage <laughs> before you get, get out of there. <laughs> um, if you want the skulls, I can donate them to you. Man, I mean, you're in HQ1. I don't have room for skulls. I'm going to keep one skull that this really nice woman made me. Um, her name is April Slaughter. Okay. And she is, she's just a fan of some artists I played for. I can't remember if it was Bob or Matthew Mayfield or something. Anyway. She's like a paranormal investigator. Okay. Which, as most people know, isn't really my thing. Okay. Staunch atheist. Don't believe in supernatural stuff. But she also makes these custom skulls. And she knows I'm a big Anne Rice fan. And she made me what she called, she named him the Vampire Lestat, which is the main character of Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. And she made me a badass custom skull with a removable mandible, and it has the vampire teeth. Wow. Now that skull, I mean, when she sells these, they're like 600 bucks. Damn. Can you wear it? Like no, a mask. no, it's it's small, but it's heavy. Yeah, and uh, it's painted and it's beautiful. Cool. And she's making me another one called Louis. That's Brad Pitt's character. I was hoping it was gonna be Lou Reed. <laughs> a Lou Reed skull. Yeah, it just sings iced honey, and you press a button. Iced honey. Or, yeah, it has like the sensor. You know, like during Halloween at Home, Home Depot. Sorry, Brad or Lowe's. <laughs> and you, <laughs> and, sorry, Lowe's. And you, you know when you walk by the Halloween decorations, are always the ones that have the sensors where it'll go, it'll like be a witch laughing. <laughs> Yeah. What if it was a Lou Reed skull? Every time I walked by it, it was like, that actively despises you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. I'm glad oh, we're over that. Uh, me too. What were we talking about? Welcome to Tangent City. Uh, we were talking about uh, new patrons. We were talking about the... Um, oh, the stems. The stems. The stems. Yeah. So we're going to break down kind of how we did that. We're going to put on everyone's level, make sure that we're not doing some muckety-muck speak. Right. Um, high up in the muckety-muck. I'm going to talk about a little bit of news. This is some 72 Seasons news. There's going to be a global premiere of 72 Seasons of the album. Which is cool. Here's what the blurb says. Join us for the global premiere of 72 Seasons at theaters around the world on Thursday, April 13th. So we're super excited to host a worldwide listening party the night before the album's release. Hang out with fellow Metallica fans at your local movie theater. Celebrate the release of 72 Seasons and experience the full album for the first time in surround sound. Each song will feature its own video playing on the screen along with quips and commentary from us about the recording process and how the songs came together. To bring us all together, we're joining forces with Trafalgar releasing for the third time. First in 2010 for the live theatrical stream of the Big Four show from Sofia, Bulgaria, and again in 2019 with S&M2. Trafalgar partners with thousands of theaters in 132 countries worldwide, so hopefully there's one right in your neighborhood. Tickets for 72 Seasons Global Premiere will be available beginning Thursday, March 2nd at Metallica.film. Visit the site now for more info and to sign up to be notified of updates. So Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I want to go, but I already looked up our dates. Where are we? We played the, the second Ryman show that day. Okay. So my thought was, because a few people were asking on Discord, was, you know, can we go? And I said, well, we're headlining the Ryman that night, so right. it might be kind of tough. We could always quit the gig. 
Well, that I said, here's the here's the dilemma. Do do we headline the Ryman or do we go to a movie theater? Right. You know, I'm I. In, you might be surprised by this. I picked the Ryman. I got to be honest. I don't know if I want my first time hearing it to be in that setting because I've been thinking about this. Uh, Dave Matthews released a new single, which, by the way, is is the best thing that he's put out since like the late '90s. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. It sounds like uh, if anyone out there knows the songs Don't Drink the Water or The Last Stop or Minarets, these Eastern-sounding dark songs, it's like in that vein. Cool. It'd be like if Metallica put out a song that sounded like Sabatrue. Yeah. Which they kind of did with Dream No More. But anyway, I'm digressing. Big deal in the DMB community, and it was like the single was dropping at midnight, blah, 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 a lot of confusion about that. And shout out to my homies at uh, Corner of Gray Street Podcast, the Dave Matthews Podcast. They sent me the song. Oh, early, nice. Early. Oh, cool. I have con- they have connections. And that's the podcast you were on, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they sent me the song. I had it for like 12 hours and did not listen to it because the the conditions weren't right, dude. Yeah. I like had stuff going on with like I was working on stuff and then stuff with house stuff. And I needed to be alone. Mm-hmm. I needed to have good headphones and I needed time. Yeah. And they texted me. They were like, what do you think? They were like super excited. I was like, "Believe." I, I mean, it really kind of bummed them out that I had not listened to it. <laughs> well, because they sent me like an early thing. Yeah, that. they were excited to send it to you, of course. And I was like, man, I'm sorry to report, guys. I have not listened to this. Yeah. I feel like with the Metallica album, as much as I would love to be there with you and Paul and other Metallica nerds and other Melody Podcast people, I feel like my first time hearing it, I just want to be alone mm-hmm. and I want to be able to focus on it. Okay. Yeah, because the only thing I thought of is if we wanted to go to that thing in Nashville the day of the Ryman show. I, see, I don't, we don't know times yet. Mm-hmm. It could be just one time per theater or two times. Right. Or a normal schedule where the first one's at 10, 30, or 11 in the morning. Right. Doable. We right. could do that, then head to the Ryman, whatever. Yeah, it sounds fun, but at the same time, I'm with you. It's like, I'd rather be by myself or with you and like Johnny on the road, burn it down together or yeah. something, you know? Which, uh, that's an idea for we an could episode do that. for me, you know? Yeah. We bust out from the Ryman to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And that's the next show. We maybe don't go too crazy the night before, and we get up at like let's say nine a.m., mm-hmm. ten a.m., and the three of us for the very first time we sit down and listen to the episode together, or sorry, to the album together, and make it an episode. We should get up early and listen to Metal Beer Podcast together. We totally should. Let's start from episode one. I mean, thinking about it now, I did watch S and M in the theater, S and M two, but I was by myself. But that's also songs that you know. It's yeah, not like it's right. brand new songs that you really want to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. which is what we want to do. Yeah. Depending on the time schedule of these showings or whatever, I mean, I'm still kind of on the fence, but I'm leaning more towards I'd rather do it alone or with you. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's still a cool idea. They really love doing that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's a great excuse to go maybe meet people, you know? If you feel like you're kind of a lonely Metallica fan, you don't have a lot of people to talk to. Many people who write in us tell us, I feel like you guys are my only Metallica buddies. Mm Mm-hmm. That might be a good opportunity to maybe uh, spread your wings, fly, fly, and maybe meet some other like-minded people. Fly, fly towards the 72 seasons. Maybe become best friends. Maybe it'll change your life. You don't know until you try it. Maybe it'll become someone that you marry and put in a box for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Because they want to be. I, listen, I'm not advocating to, like, enslave somebody. No, don't force don't anybody Don't put anybody a in a box that doesn't want to be in a box. Of course. Please. But if baby wants to be in a box and you're down with box folk, put them in the box. What's in the box? Look, try it out. I've had a lot of partners try some, want to try some stuff. Yeah. That maybe I wasn't that into. You know about some of this. Sure. I'm game for it. Yeah. Down to try. But I'm going to let you know real quick if I don't like it. Well, I, and I, I, what else can you expect? Yeah. I'm going to try it, but I'm also going to let you know how I feel about it. Yeah, and that's just, that's just being yourself and being honest with the person because you right. care about them. Right. I love you, but I don't want to be in that box. Right. 
that's you know that's why I'm not going to pee on your leg, dude. Already back to box talk, <laughs> box folk. <laughs> this is a, this is a new segment called box talk. All right, we want to thank the new patrons. Thank you to Ted Overland, Chad Pollock. Shout out to Chad. I know Chad. I've hung out with him. Chris Reynolds and Matt Kimber. All right, congrats everybody. Or not congrats. Congratulations. <laughs> hey, congratulations for supporting our show. <laughs> I think congratulations are in order because now they get to sleep at night. That's true. Finally. They get to sleep at night, whether that be in a box or not. So, I mean, <clears throat> here's the deal. You have to ask yourself a question at the end of the day. Does being spiritually whole matter to you? Because if it does, you need to jump on the Patreon train. Mm -hmm. You will become spiritually whole. Yeah. Because the guys who make the thing that you love that brings you so much joy and cost time and money and all that, you're now putting back into it. You are, exactly. And, I mean, as of... What is today? Today's Wednesday. As of two days ago, we just added something wonderful to the Patreon page, which is these stems we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's spiritual wholeness. That's what we're selling over here. Yeah. And it's affordable. Yeah. $5 a month. We are mostly joking about that. Thank you to anyone who uh, who joins the Patreon. And if you can't, totally get it. Times are tough and times are weird. Anyone who's able to, we really appreciate it. We're on all the socials. You know what they are. Blah, 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 More people just complaining on Twitter about how bad Twitter is. It's really amazing to me. <laughs> I know. I even even the things that bum me out about certain social media apps I'm on, which is only three and one I barely am on. Yeah. I don't feel the need to ever post about it. Like oh. like Instagram, like I commented on a friend's photo this morning. Yeah. And then after I commented I noticed it was posted two days ago. Yeah. Like that bums me out. The whole yeah. algorithm of things are out of order. Yeah. I, I don't like. Me neither. But guess what? I didn't make Instagram. It's not my choice. And they're suggesting a lot of stuff that people I don't follow. And I'm like, man, I really would just like to keep up with the people. I Like, I get it. These yeah. platforms suck. Yeah. But the people that are like, I'm going to just rant and rage about it. I'm like, like, here's my biggest complaint about Twitter. I can't get that fucking Eve Six guy out of my feed. <laughs> I find that guy so annoying. I know everyone thinks he's a fucking comedic genius. I find him pretentious and I, a shithead, and right. just, which is fine. I just don't want to see it. Right, right. But 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 you do because people retweet stuff or exactly, quote tweet stuff. Exactly. And, yeah. and I keep like muting him. I'm just like, how do I just get him out of my life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certain accounts that, especially political stuff that I was really following a lot in the last couple of years that I muted just because I'm just tired of feeling like shit mentally. It, it just burns me out. So. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And let me go ahead and say this. And we don't talk about politics a lot, but this is going to be a very bipartisan statement I'm about to make. Great. The news is designed to make you upset. It, it's no longer what I would call news. This is my advice to you out there. Quit watching it. Yeah. Get informed, I guess. Find a way to get informed. Pay attention to your local politics. Yeah. You know, like be involved, I guess. But if you're out there watching the big news corporations, my advice to you is to stop. We yeah. do not watch any of it. I don't either. You know, I'm, I, I might see like a clip of something. Like, I guess really the only time I really dive into any bigger news organizations is when something major happens in the country. Some kind, Whether it's like a disaster. Yeah. Like, mass shootings like i want to you know one happened you know close to where i mm -hmm. grew up yeah just what yesterday day before yesterday and i wanted to kind of just read up on it sure other than that though like man you know i i know people that like all day long they've got whatever network on i used to do it yeah i mean i used to be kind of a news junkie yeah and it just made me it made us so unhappy yeah i'd much rather sit down and listen to one of my favorite albums and feel good and feel inspired and feel the need to create something i just don't i just really don't see the benefit anymore yeah sure and they just rage bait everybody yeah i think that these corporations have a lot to gain by keeping everybody mad at each other and divided and it's like you you go and talk to your neighbors who you know my my neighbors put signs in their yards that indicate to me that we do not vote for the same people sure i don't do that i don't really want people to know how i vote 
I don't think it's anyone's fucking business. Right. And a lot of people probably have ideas about me politically that I'm going to go and tell you right now are probably wrong. Mm -hmm. I would probably surprise you. Yeah. I know I surprise people on the bus all the time. I know, I know that. I know that for a fact. We've had a lot of discussions about that kind of stuff. And I dig that because my wife and I are both kind of single issue people. Like it depends on what the issue is. Mm -hmm. I do not. I am not on a fucking team when it comes to politics. Yeah. I don't think anyone should be. But I have neighbors that let me know how they vote and they're not how I vote. Yeah. The news would have me see them as evil, dumb monsters. Right. Who are destroying the world who could not possibly have a thought in their brain. Mm -hmm. Well, you go talk to them, and it's like, wow, my neighbors are pretty smart, actually. Yeah, it turns out you have a lot more in common than you think. Well, they want the same things I want, which is for their kids to be safe. Uh, they want to have food. They want security. They want to know that their parents are okay. They want to know that they have a future. Yeah. Now, we might disagree about how we get there, but that is what they want. They're mm -hmm. not evil dummies, you know? Like, yeah. that's a really important lesson. And honestly, playing in country music has really helped me with that because... You know, I've been playing country music for 10 years yeah. in town, invariably off and on. I've met a lot of country music fans yeah. who t typically tend to fall in a certain demographic of politics. They're all great people. I mean, not all of them, but you know what I mean? There's shitheads everywhere. Of course. There's shitheads on all sides of the spectrum. But you talk to most of these people, first of all, they'll surprise you with, because most people who are on, a, you know, have an ideological team that they're on, they're in a feedback loop. They're not getting good information. Mm -hmm. They're getting information that makes them feel good about their decisions. Yes. So the first thing that'll happen when you talk to someone who doesn't believe what you believe is you're actually going to be surprised by some information you may not have had. Mm -hmm. The second thing you're going to be surprised by is how thoughtful they might be about it. Yeah. And the third thing you're going to be surprised by is how much you have in common. That's always the most surprising thing. It's like, wow. Like we said before, it's like we both want a lot of these same things, but we just have different ways of getting there. And yeah. once you talk to somebody and really break down kind of those barriers, you know, then you're like, oh, wait, I think we both want to live in that box or whatever you well, know? And here's what you can <laughs> well here's what you can't do in person like with your neighbor or like with somebody at a coffee shop you can't just be outraged on your keyboard and then like throw a fucking molotov cocktail and then run away mm -hmm. so even when you disagree the social construct of being with somebody you have to just kind of deal with it and then it just reminds you that like, i don't have to be outraged about everything i disagree about right someone may say something about a political issue that i disagree with it's like on the internet it would be just outrage mm -hmm. Ugh. oh yeah oh my god but when you can't do that to a person. I mean, no. if you could, but that, that's no way to be a neighbor. No, and then that's gonna that's definitely gonna make sure that you are not friends anymore. Yeah, you know? and then and you want your neighbors to be your friends. Yeah, like, totally. I'm just trying to get back connected with that. I told Isabel because I'm you know I'm not the most outgoing guy. I don't really like to meet new people. If my neighbors needed help, I would help them, but I don't really want to know them. Sure, and I don't want them in my world. But I did tell Isabel, I said, when we move, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a lot more proactive with our neighbors. I'm nice. going to like be that. I'm going to just decide to change. And we're back to this lack of skulls. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start wearing, uh, I'm going to start playing golf and start wearing dockers. Yeah. Or what? No, duck heads. Duck or khaki heads. pants. Khaki pants, like a salmon colored polo shirt tucked in. Hey, man, I'm just changing. There's like hair growing in unfamiliar places. Yeah. Right? Like my penis. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I am rocking my uh, Luca ones today. Oh, I haven't seen those. Those are nice. It's pretty cool, right? Real slick, yeah. And I love that. How, how how serendipitous is this? That he signed with Jordan brand. That's like the brand of shoe that he signed with. Yeah. So they always have Michael Jordan on them too. He's everywhere. Well, he is everywhere. Amen. He's here right now in that, a box somewhere. That'll preach. I bet you Michael Jordan's kind of into box shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, he's probably into trying a lot of weird stuff because he's probably alone a lot. I don't think he has many friends. I, I can't imagine when you're that when you're that famous, that rich you got to have people that are on that level with you. You know, it's like rich people don't hang out with poor people generally. Right. I don't you know? even know if it's that, though. I think his, he has the mind of, a, of, like, a killer, a killer champion. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't, there aren't many of those in the world. Right. Maybe a hundred. He's one of them. Yeah. 
Joe Rogan, I remember talking about, which I just said Joe Rogan, and half of our audience just maybe turned this off just because <laughs> I mentioned his name. But he was talking about, like, people like Michael Jordan in bygone times would have been, like, war generals. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. They would have been, like, the Napoleons. Yep. But we live in a kind of a safer, different time. And they end up playing sports, competitive sports, mm-hmm. and just eviscerating every the, all of their opponents. And yeah. The desire to win is so insatiable. I mean, yeah, the Bulls were his army. Yeah. You know, he was the general. I just think when you're that guy, I think it's lonely. I just think, I don't think you can, I think you have a hard time being friends. Yeah, for sure, because you can't relate to anybody else. No. You know, unless you're, I mean, unless you're another goat of some other sport, you right. know, if, you know, if... If he could hang out with I mean, like Tom Brady or something. Tom Brady, or I was thinking, I, my mind went to Tony Hawk because I consider him the go to skateboard. He is, you know, but um, and and he's been in my Twitter feed a lot lately because he showed up on stage with that Van Goldfinger and mm-hmm. sang a song with him. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, like guys that he can relate to. It's like, oh, I, yeah, I'm Tony Hawk. I've done this in my sport, and you've done that in your sport. So we've got that going for us. I know that when Tiger was like popping off, mm-hmm. him he was hanging out with Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, there's actually a great story too. I mean, this is a slightly different thing, but more musical. It's in the Pearl Jam 20 book where when Pearl Jam was happening and like really happening after 10. Yeah. Like, so maybe when Versus came out and it sold a million copies in the first week, which I think it had that record for like 10 years until the Backstreet Boys broke it. Crazy. Most sales in one week. Pearl Jam. Awesome. Eddie went and sought out Bono. And there's this really great story about like them sitting in some, ca- they were both touring in like Italy mm-hmm. and they're in some like little cafe, low light in a basement. And Eddie Vedder was basically like, how do you do this job? Yeah. Meaning we're in a popular band, but I'm also like a very enigmatic frontman type. And obviously you too, mm-hmm. you're not going to beat that with Bono. Nope. I mean, you got your Springsteens, but he's not really in a band. Yeah. Bono is the guy that was in the band. Yeah. And you got Bono going, well, let me tell you what I know about it. Mm-hmm. And just like, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to. And so there's a story about when Tiger was popping off. Him and Michael Jordan were at a um, an adult establishment where dancing happens. Okay, I'm trying to think what that is. And uh, Tiger Woods said, he said, what do I say to these women? I don't know what to say to them. And Michael Jordan said, tell them you're Tiger Woods. That's what you say to them. <laughs> that's him. what you say. And it's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, so yeah, goats hanging with goats. That's That sounds about right to me. Yeah, I mean, I and, and I think I, you know, you, I kind of put it on par with, you know, even even just like wealth too. It's like, yeah, there are exceptions to the rule. There are rich people that hang out with poor people, but yeah. it's for the most part it's called community service. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You might want to look and see if they have one of those little anklet locks because they got a DUI in there. That's fucking right. ritzy ass neighborhood. It's it's called you know the rich guy walking outside and talk and, and saying hello to the guy cleaning his pool. <laughs> hello, poor. Hello, how's the poor down there? Are you the is it poor boy or pool boy? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's there, there's a there are obviously exceptions to anything. But in general, yeah, I mean, you you kind of hang on or hang out people on your your kind of same level, you know. Like, what's that great Pedro line that's from uh, Indian Summer? He says, "Have you ever seen an idealist with gray hairs on his head or successful men who keep in touch with unsuccessful friends? You only thought you did, and I could have sworn I saw it too. But as it turns out, it was just a clever ad for cigarettes." Because if it isn't making dollars, it isn't making sense. If you aren't moving units, you're not worth the expense. If you really want to make it, you best remember this. If it isn't penetration, it isn't worth the kiss. That's good. Woo! Damn! God damn it, that is so good. Yeah. That re- whole record, anyone that hasn't heard Control by Pedro the Lion, put that show on the headphones and and listen to the whole thing. That's whole probably, that's his masterpiece probably. Like that's the best he did in terms of like every song cohesive yeah but my favorite's the one after called achilles heel achilles heel's great 
He's doing a control tour this summer. Control, and I think it's hard to find a friend or something. What's funny about that is I've already seen him do a control tour. Oh, really? He's already done a control tour. Oh, he did do one. Uh, He played it. He did it at Exit In. Me and Bo went. Yeah, he's doing two records, I guess. I haven't seen it all live, and I Control and what? What's the other one? I think it's hard to find a friend. Okay. I think. I think it's the one before that. All those other records are real hit. Well, Winners Never Quit, the acoustic one, Mm -hmm. is really good. On the way to grandma's. The early stuff, to me, like you can take three or four songs from each one of those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But Control was the record to me that like, this is Tangent City, we're talking about Pigeon Line now. Control to me is awesome because he was very clean before as far as tones and things like that. And that record kind of got heavy. Oh, it's gnarly. The tones are are, like, it's just heavy guitar tones. Um... My friend Aaron Sprinkle, I would love to, we've talked about it a little bit. My friend Aaron Sprinkle, I've recorded with a ton over the last 20 years. He engineered that. Mm. And Dave had done the drums already, but Mm -hmm. was kind of unhappy with where he was recording. So hit up Aaron because they were homies. Hey, can I come finish this with you? And so just the two of them finished the rest of that record. Yeah. And that was, those are some of his best songs. I mean, he's got great stuff in his solo work and obviously the other Pedro records, but there's something about that record for me. And that's when I came online with them was, I think right before that record came out or right when it did come out. All of his solo stuff is really good. It basically sounds like Pedro the Lion, except for one, which is my favorite of his solo albums called Blanco. Yeah. And it's electronic. Blanco and Care are both electronic. Care is like Blanco leftovers. Yeah. It's not as good. Um, he actually released, some, he called it something clever, but it was like Blanco leftovers. Yeah. And then when I got Care, it was like, oh, he just mixed and mastered those songs. Yeah, okay. It's the same like batch. Right. Um, and Blanco's, to me, clearly the superior record. But yeah. he made that, he made Care with Richard Swift. Yeah, he did. Right before he passed away. Yep. But I don't know who did that Blanco record. I need to look it up, but like, I mean, there's there's not a single guitar on it. Yeah. It, it's like all really like dark electronic shit. I love that. And it's like pairs so well with his like really creepy music. Yeah. His other solo record, Strange Negotiations, really good. Yeah, that's a good record as well. Christian's like his Curse Your Branches album because he gets to be mad at God. And then they, <laughs> they get to like get their kicks by pretending to be like mad at God with Dave Bazan, you know? Totally. He called it his breakup record with God, even though he's still calls himself a Christian. So do the math on that. Yeah. So who did this Blanco record? Let's see. Yuki Matthews, engineering, mixing, producer, programmer. Interesting. I don't know who that is. Here's what I guarantee you happened. Dave Bazan was probably listening to a lot of that kind of music. Yeah. And I think he wrote Dave Bazan songs on an acoustic or whatever. Probably. And I think he gave them to this guy and said, hey... Can we just deconstruct this whole thing? Like, Try something new. And because the melodies all sing, and it, it feels like he could. I actually saw him tour Blanco by himself with an electric guitar, and he just played them all like on an electric guitar. Yeah. So there you go. I think he just found this cool producer guy. And it, I, obviously, he did some programming too, but it did make me think, like, man, I'd love to find someone like that and just like give 10 of my little songies to him mm-hmm. and be like, hey, just fuck all these up. Yeah, reimagine them. Yeah, exactly. Like, the thing I love about Bazan is that no matter what is what the music sounds like behind him, he, he, I think his writing is so good that, and, oh, his, yeah. and his voice is so good and cool and unique that you're just going to like it. It's like if you like Control, you're going to like Blanco. When I started getting into Low, I realized like, oh, Dave Bazan listened to Low. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I'm in a big Low thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's just ripping off Low. And I went and listened to more Pedro, like just to dip back in, and it's really good. Yeah. It's definitely his own thing. He was definitely listening to Low, but it's not a ripoff. Yeah. He kind of found his own lane. He definitely did. And there's really nothing like it. Yeah. And lyrically, he I can't think of anyone in that world that's as powerful as him lyrically. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm almost glad that he, because he, his very first EP, he put out on Tooth & Nail Records, which was kind of in the Christian world, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You know, but people always attach him to Tooth & Nail, even though he was only, one EP was on there, and he, then he was on Sub Pop and a bunch right. of the labels and That's stuff the one like that. that has Beat Out My Vision, where he does like I think an old so. Yeah, totally. 
It's a really great song on that called Lullaby. Yeah. It talks about King David and shit. Well, he's great. Everyone, go go dip in. Dip into Control. Listen to Control and Blanco. That's your homework. I wonder if I would like it if I heard it now. Like, I definitely heard it at a certain time when I was, like, young. I was a Christian. I wonder if I would like it now. Yeah, I know when I got into it, you know, I was touring, like, in, you know, Christian rock band or whatever. And, but I, I wasn't, I didn't know his story. I didn't yeah. know that, you know, I mean, I was just hearing these gnarly lyrics on, yeah. on Control. Just like, wow. Yeah. You know, like this, the, the, you know, this, this song about, you know, what you think is him, but it's actually about his friends who like had an affair and shit, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and I didn't, I don't know, I guess. And someone had told me like, and I knew his name from like that first EP on Tooth and Nail. And I'd heard Page of the Lion kind of in passing, but I was like, man, this lyrically is like nothing else that is going on in the Christian music world. Oh yeah. He, way, way too he, honest. He transcends it. He absolutely does. Which I think is why he's so well-respected now. Yeah, you know, and most you know, and, and the, we can move on after this. But the the kind of tale of most Christian artists is they they stay in a safe lane and mm-hmm. just try to ride that wave as long as possible. Where, yeah. he, where he was basically like, "Fuck you, I'm going to sing what I want to sing about." Right. And I think that's why he's had longevity and had such a cult following. I think. I mean, I, I've hung out with him a few times. I know him a little bit, and I I think when he got sort of um, adopted by Christians, I think that surprised him. Yeah, and I think he felt kind of like Christians co opted him for credibility. And yes. I don't think he ever really felt like, I mean, he's admittedly a Christian, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm so sick of that, too. Like, well, we're not a Christian band. We're just, a, we're a band. We're Christians, Christians in a band. Like, wow, you guys think that's clever? You guys really think that's smart? That's <laughs> people, so boring. People have been saying that shit for, ever since I've been touring. They think it's deep. I used to say it, yeah. you know, but I, when I was a kid. Right. But anyway, I think he, um, like, I don't think he was knocking it, but I just think he was like, oh, yeah, I'm not really part of that. I, I felt like they sort of adopted me. Yeah, and I'm just trying to make records, and I'll, I want to sell tickets and have a career. Right, but now he mostly just tours house shows and like lives out of a van. Yeah, he does house shows. I mean, he that's like his one of his bread and butter gigs is doing house shows by himself. I saw him. I saw him in Seattle at, at uh, um, what was the club I saw him at? Big club there, uh, El Corazon. No, um, it was right by the hotel we were staying at. Fuck, I don't know. What, it doesn't the showbox. Matter. Showbox. Yeah, and he probably had about 300 people there in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. A lot of mustaches, a lot of ironic mustaches. <laughs> a lot of mustaches. A lot of ironic mustaches, and I could just overhear, like, 36-year-old dudes, like, talking about craft beer. Yeah. And I really hated it. And well, I got to imagine David hates it, too. Probably, yeah, I imagine so. I mean, most of these people have contempt for their fans. Aside from doing, like, let's say this control tour this, this summer, if the house show thing appeals more to him, because when people go to house shows, they are really paying attention. Yeah. I mean, you're in a live, it's kind of uncomfortable in a way. You're in a living room with like 20 other people, and one of your favorite artists is sitting on a chair in front of you. I got to imagine he hates it. I think it's just the overhead's low. He makes money, and he's got to make a living. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, you know, maybe one day him and I'll end up at Home Depot together, but from now I can tell that he doesn't want to work at Home Depot. Right. So I think he's just, I mean, there's a few other like disgraced Christian artists that are also doing house house tours yeah there's a guy i used to tour with who wasn't a christian who used to do like clubs and shit he's doing house shows it's like yeah. if that's all you can do i guess you're gonna go do it and i mean i guess if you can if you can make ends meet by doing that by all means go for it but, you know? but think about it think about asking these artists that we're talking about we'll just hone in on david would you rather be doing sold out clubs or house shows they're not going to choose house shows dude i know i would choose clubs no one wants to go into someone's fucking house <laughs> do you want to go into people's houses it's wild. he's been i mean for how long he's been doing it but i you know it's like you think of a guy like him it's like yeah he's got a good following but it's not like what people think like yeah you and i love his music but yeah. that doesn't mean he's selling out no a thousand tickets everywhere no maybe in some markets sure but no, i don't i i mean i think that maybe there was a time mm-hmm. 
I mean, when I saw him, I saw him on the, this is quite a big chunk on Pedro the Lions. It really is. I saw him on the Achilles heel tour. So record after control. And it was a well-received record. Yeah. It's a great record. It's the last Pedro the Lion record. And when I saw him, he played at Zydeco in Birmingham. Not a big place. 300 people. I yeah. mean, it was packed. Yeah. And there was a lot of excitement about Pedro the Lion. Right. And it w- we were all young. It was like his fans were young, kind of pseudo-intellectual religious people. Yeah. Who liked craft beer and had Florentine mustaches yes. and suspenders and, you know, I'll have a Guinness. I'll have a black and tan. You know what that is? It's bass ale with half bass, half Guinness. Do you have a black and tan? Uh, sir, I've, I've, I've bartended for 20 years. Excuse I know what black me. and tan is. Do you have cider? Yes, I'll have an angry orchard cider <laughs> while listening to Control. You please, know what, please. You know, but, but listen, it's not him who had the affair. It's some of his friends. I like, that was always the thing, too. Like, it's not him, though. Yeah. I'm like, guess what? It might be. It might be, yeah. You ever heard of someone lying about what songs are about? Because your fan base are a bunch of dumbass Christians. <laughs> That's what I was always told when I was like asking about that. Like, like I know. I, I, I mean, I heard it too because I just didn't know. I was like, man, this is this song's gnarly. And someone was like, well, you know, I'm like, I can't believe. Like, I'm guessing this is autobiographical, or whatever. And, and they're like, well, actually, it was his friend or whatever. So it's all it's the it's the telephone game when it comes to shit like at that. that. At that show that I saw Matt and Zydeco, I have a friend named Tim Bird who I haven't talked to in forever, but he was a Birmingham friend. And uh, we had not met at this time. And Dave Bazan famously does a Q&A in the middle of his show. Oh, yeah, all the time. So he's playing a big rock show. And then song ends, ding. He's like, well, does anyone have any questions? And he'll just do a Q&A. Yeah. People are asking questions. And this one guy goes, who's T.W. Walsh? Because he has a song called Bands with Managers. Mm-hmm. And one of the verses is, bands with messy hair are going places. Oh, so it's vans with 15 passengers are rolling over. Yeah. But I trust T.W., T. William Walsh. Yeah. He puts that in the lyric. Yeah. Well, T. William Walsh was his guitar player. Yeah, totally. And he's talking about his guitar player driving the van. He mastered Blanco, according to that website. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, okay. So this guy asked that question, and I'm over in my part of the club going, what a dumbass. He doesn't know who T.W. Walsh is? Like, yeah. doesn't he read the liner notes? Like, that's that. He's on stage right now. Yeah. And that's what Dave was on set. He's like, that's T.W. Walsh right here. Yeah, he's standing right there. <laughs> I asked the question, what's your favorite song you've ever written? And I can't even remember what he said. Yeah. Oh, no. I asked him if he was a fan of the Beatles. Ah, okay. And he said they're his favorite band. I, I would, yeah. I'd imagine they're at least in the top five. Months or maybe even years later, me and this guy Tim become friends. And we're talking about music and shit. And we realized we were both at that show. And uh, I was like, I asked him if he liked the Beatles. Yeah. And he was like, oh, my God, I remember that. And I remember thinking, what a pretentious shithead question and i was like well what question did you ask him he's like i asked him who t william walsh was and i was like you were that guy i was like i judged you too i was like what a dumbass <laughs> there was always some like uh at every every bazan show i've been to or pedro show whatever there's always the one like confident christian guy that has to ask are you still a christian yeah uh what second thessalonians says that uh it's like oh just the groaning of the crowd but good on bazan they're like I, i've never seen him go like i'm not answering that like he all he always will, will just power through it because that's got to be tough especially when people are obsessed with your music and they want to ask you whatever and they ask you something like that he, I mean, I'm not going to just pick on the Christians about this. I think that a lot of people have this. I think that, like, metalheads had this. Yeah, I, I think, mean, just in that one no, no, I know. particular instance. But I, I just think he became a hero for a lot of people. Sure. And there was a lot of people out there who looked at Christianity or looked at the expression of their faith and felt like they weren't really good at it. Mm-hmm. And he represented, obviously, a badass musician, yeah. but also, like, kind of messy. And he kind of seemed like a real guy really struggling with it, like, who had real rugged faith, who really cared. He also is also going to have a beer. He's going to write a song about 
whatever. He's going to say the word fuck in his music. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids who were smart enough to realize that this idealized version of their faith was unattainable, he became kind of a hero. Yeah, that makes sense. Reluctant, maybe. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I never saw him get snarky or... Nah. He was... Real, I mean, he's built for it. He's patient. Mm-hmm. And I think he's smart enough to know that like his songs are kind of lightning rods for that shit. They definitely are, yeah. They, they, you can't write that material and flirt with all of that ideology and then not have these impressionable fans come and be like, what do you think about Daniel and the Lions then? <laughs> right. Because your name is Pedro the Lion. Were the Nephilim real? Did, did, were the Nephilim in the Bible real or giants? David was like, God, <laughs> I do not want to talk about the Nephilim. Anyways, here's the song of Christian Branches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, here's Wonderwall. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. Well, should we get to some emails? Yeah, let's do some emails. Fuck it. Good Pedro talk, by the way. Great Pedro talk. I'm going to listen to that today. Yeah, it's going to be in the soundtrack, isn't it? Hell yeah, it will be. All right. Yeah. Well, let's go to the email corner. Let's How do about- it. All right, our first email is from Joe Zappi. He says, what's up, brothers? Well, let me tell you something, brother. Just recently acquired the Anthrax record XL, which features re-recorded versions of their classic songs. Would you be interested in something like that from Metallica, or are the original recordings good enough? Also, what what should the track listing be? Well, let's start with this real quick. Okay. Um, I'm not really interested in that. No. What What's this XL record? Do you know um, it? I've read about it. It's... it's, it's uh, I'd have to look it up again. I think it's the one it's they did it with John Bush, but recorded old ones. Okay, I could be wrong on that, but um, I'm not really that interested in that kind of stuff. You know, uh, if in Anthrax's case, you've changed singers, totally down to hear John Bush sing Joey stuff live. Yeah, because they they got to do Indians. Or oh yeah, Cotton Amash or whatever. Oh yeah, right for the Indians. But with Metallica, no. I mean, the only thing that ever would spike my curiosity is if Metallica actually said, "Hey, you know what." Fuck it, we're gonna release a bass up mix of justice. I'll be like, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, like officially endorsed by them. Endorsed by them. None of this injustice for Jason stuff on YouTube, which right. is I don't even think sounds that good. No, I don't either. I have never heard any of that, and people send it to us all the time. I've never heard that and been like, I'd rather hear this than justice. It's yeah. it's a curiosity. Yes. It's a what if. It's kind of a what if, but you you know this. I've said this for years. The whole like, what if um what if Blackened was on Saint Anger? I I never watch those. I I just yeah. I'm not into it. It, it strikes me, I'm just speaking for me, little old me. Sure. This is my podcast, but it strikes me as a waste of time. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I mean, I'm guessing these guys that do that kind of stuff on YouTube, like, but get enough hits and it makes it financially worthwhile to make these videos. But yeah. at the end of the day, when someone, you know, it's like, oh, well, what if uh, the St. Anger snare was on Master Puppets? I'm like, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to listen to that. Why would I want to watch you make, do a video of it? Like, I, I just I don't, I don't care about that stuff. I know. Maybe we're just like old men that don't like that. But <laughs> just screaming at the clouds. I've, like, said, I've said this before. Like, if they're going to, if they're going to use creative energy, I would prefer for them to be putting it into new material. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, they are. We got a new record coming. So. Absolutely. Uh, Joe also says, also, I was curious of your top five musical artists. I'm sure Metallica is number one, but who fills out the rest of the list? I'm sure Clint will have Dave Matthews Band in there somewhere. Thank you for a great for the great podcasts and music. Joe Zappi from Walkertown, North Carolina. Thank which you, Joe Zappi. I think is in New Jersey. So I thought this was interesting. We made a, we each made a top ten list. We did. So we can talk through it, because I don't know if we've ever done this. And this is one of those things, much like a top ten Metallica songs, covers, deep cuts, whatever. I would say at least half of it is con- is maybe changing a lot. But the top few are will always kind of remain, I think, for me. But okay. we'll, we'll get we'll get through them. We're gonna do our top ten bands and then our top ten like artists. Yes, because if you combine those, it gets hard. 
Yeah, because I initially when you had texted me, do bands not artists? You know, then all of a sudden you're like, well, I can't put in so and so and the somethings because that's yeah, more of an artist. Exactly. Know? So well, I mean, first of all, Metallica is not number one for me. Not number one. Now they are top five. Um, I feel like my list is pretty rigid. There is a newish band in my top ten, so that is new. Okay, but these have mostly been my favorite bands for twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. So I'll do my top ten, then you do your ten. Can you guess what my number one is? Uh, I'm gonna say Dave Matthews Band or Bob Dylan, or probably the Beatles. Well, Bob Dylan's not. Bob Dylan's in the artist. Oh, that's category. true. That's true. That's true. My bad. So I'm gonna say probably the Beatles. Yeah, it's the Beatles. Yeah. Number two. Can you guess what number two is? You want to try? It might surprise you. I'm guessing Low might be in there now that you've really gone to the deep end with them mm-hmm. on the list somewhere. I don't think they're gonna be number two. I'm gonna say maybe Neil Young. He's an artist. Damn it! I keep doing that. <laughs> uh, which one of you is Neil and which one of you is Young? No, Nina Simone. Damn it! I did it again. Well, let me just tell you, it's surprising. Number two, my number two favorite band, Alice in Chains. Oh wow! Okay. And it's interesting too because I don't really know a lot of the post Lane material. So right. This is a band whose singer died. And then they've made a lot of material since then. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know it except for Rainier Fog. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. But those those Lane Staley records are, I mean, they're like, they're my second favorite band. Yeah. Number three, Pearl Jam. I knew that would be up there. Just, I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Pearl Jam. Uh, a lot of Lightning Bolt and Gigaton. Yeah. I feel I'm going to go and apologize to Brad Blazek because I've been on like a Pearl Jam kick and I just keep texting him about it. I'm like, <laughs> man, Lightning Bolt's really good. Um, and he was like, half of it is. I'm like. Fuck you. How dare you? Of course you work at Lowe's and want to drive a truck God. off a cliff. Uh, number four is Metallica. Awesome. There's just no way around it. Yeah. Top 10 band, top five band. Number five is Pink Floyd. Mm, nice. Number six is U2. Awesome. Number seven, Radiohead. Number eight, Tool. Number nine, Dave Matthews Band. And number 10, Low. Low squeaked in there. Yeah, I figured they might squeak in there. I had Wilco, and then I realized, like, eh, I haven't cared about, like, the last six Wilco records. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know... I, none of these bands have made a period of records that I don't care about. U2 kind of has. Sure. I quit getting U2 records after No Line on the Horizon, which I think was 2012. But I mean, but they everything have, before everything that. Everything before that is just, I know every second Even if, Even if you're like me where I'm like, I, I think, I don't, I don't absolutely love like Zuropa and Pop. Mm-hmm. But even if you took those out, mm-hmm. you're still looking at the Joshua Tree and Octune Baby and Rattle and Hum, All You Can't Leave Behind. Oh, like yeah. so much great stuff. War. Pop is my favorite U2 album. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You should you should revisit that. I, I was going to say I should. Yeah. Seropa's tough, but it does have I think my favorite U two song, which is "Stay." But, well, was Lemon on that one, or was Lemon's that on that? On there, okay. It has Babyface, Lemon, the first time, the Wanderer, the Johnny Cash song. Yeah. Uh, Daddy's going to pay for your crash car. The song Seropa is really cool. Yeah. I'll you know I'll download it for our flight tomorrow. It's very '90s European sounding. It's sure. like not what people go to them for. It's kind of experimental, but. And it's not their best. Yeah. But it. I, but I like it. It's okay. good. Okay. All right. Okay. Let me hear your top 10 bands. Let me okay. get, can I guess what the number one is? <laughs> yes, you can. The Clash. It's The Clash. Yes. Of course. I'm going to guess what number two is because that's more interesting to me. Okay. Because I knew it would be The Clash. Yeah. Is number two Rocket from the Crypt? No, but they're, they're in there. Okay. Let me think of what number two could be for you. Is number two Pearl Jam? No. Okay. Um, give me a clue, but not in a very obvious clue. Um, what kind of clue can I give you to this? Um... Because you're not counting Bob Marley and the Whalers, are you? No, that no, that's That'd be an artist. That's an artist. Okay, yes, that's an artist. Now this is a band that I absolutely love, and I've spent a lot of time with. Okay, and uh, a lot of time I, I talk about them a lot. Uh huh. I don't know if that's a good hint or not. The Clash. <laughs> We're currently talking about them 
now ish. Pedro the Lion? No, Metallica. Oh. <laughs> so they're number two. They're number two, yeah. Wow. I mean, there was a long period of time where, I would say even before we started the podcast, where it was like Metallica and the Clash kind of just always hovered. Ah. Uh, number three, the Beatles. Okay. Uh, number four, the Living End. Okay. Wow. They're number four. They're number four. I, you well, have them before Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. Okay. So I've got, I, I don't know if you made any honorable mentions. I just did so I wouldn't forget. No. Um, but, which is fine. Yeah. But Pearl Jam didn't make my top 10, which seems insane to me. Yeah, that's not, that's not computing for me. It really isn't. <laughs> but the, but I'm looking at bands like, like there are Pearl Jam records I have not spent nearly as much time with as I have like Versus uh, or Vitology, for those two specifically. So I'm thinking of like, okay, bands that I've just obsessed over. Mm-hmm. And I've obsessed over The Living End. Mm-hmm. They put out something new. I'm like, I will drop whatever I can. To go yeah. listen to that new record. A band that I did have on my list, but I bumped them for low, was the Damn Wells. Okay. Because uh, that's how I feel, too. Obsessed with them. If anything yeah. comes out, I'm getting it. Period. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, number five, Green Day. Wow. I mean, been a huge fan since, yeah. really, 94, Yeah. when Dookie came out. I mean, I had heard of them, but yeah. didn't really know them, and then Dookie came out. and I've, Dude, you didn't have Kerplunk? Holy shit, man. You didn't have uh, 10,000 hours? Uh, number six, Social Distortion. Okay. Always been a huge fan. Legendary band since the late 70s, really. Uh, number seven, Rocker from the Crypt. Okay. Number, number eight, sorry, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wow. Number nine, the Police. Mm. And then number 10, Alice in Chains. Okay, cool. That that slot was like Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. Like, yeah. I have to pick one of those. I can't do Soundgarden because I only really love the two albums. Yeah, I'm con- That's that was a big reason and why I took it it's just not going to do it for me. That, you know, when you look at Pearl Jam, it's like all 10 of their albums I know every second of. Mm-hmm. Alice in Chains, Elaine Stavis stuff, every second. Yep. Soundgarden... Super unknown and down on the upside. Every second I know and love, but yeah. they made a lot of albums before it that I haven't investigated. To me, they're 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 pinnacle sonically, musically. Surprise, Nirvana didn't make your list. No, I mean I love Nirvana, but I'm not like yeah. Uh, you know, I think if this was Paul's list, it would be Nirvana, 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 Nirvana. I'm surprised Creed didn't make your list. Well, <laughs> well, if we did a top eleven. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So my uh, top songwriters, or like artists, right? So yeah. I had to make a separate list for that. So you can guess number one, right? That's that's going to go ahead and be Mr. Bobby D. D. Bob Dylan, the man. Number D. two is Tom Petty. Yeah. Who I think in many ways got as close to Dylan as you can, like in terms of like the, just the quality. In fact, Tom probably has more better... Oh, I don't even know how to say this. Does Tom have a more consistent yeah. career of of, yeah. of good songwriting? Yeah. Tom has more records I would listen to. Like there's not there's like there's there's not really a, a a huge stinker Tom Petty record. I'm trying to think if there is one. Like like Let Me Up, I've had enough. The one that's like all the colors on the front, but that had swinging on it. Yeah, which is a song he wrote with Bob Dylan. What's that one? Way. Don't don't back down or no? Not back down. Um, um what's it, it's called. Is Let Me Up? Is it not Let Me Up? I've had enough. Uh, that is uh yeah, Let Me Up. Let me up. I've had enough, right? Yeah, let me up. I've had enough. That's <laughs> when he was asked about that album, which I guess is an album he didn't like much. They're like, "What do you, you know, do you have any comments about that period?" He's like, "Well, the title of the album is called Let Me Up. I've Had Enough.' I think that kind of speaks for itself." Like, <laughs> all right, so number one, Bobby Dylan. Number two, Tom Petty. Number three is Neil Young. Yeah. Now he's got pockets of records that are not listenable, right? But he's made so many great records, and he's a total maverick, total visionary. Probably my favorite guitar player. Just great, great, great songs. Yeah, for sure. Number four, Ryan Adams. There you go. I You've always been. I, as long as I've known you, you've been a fan. I know and celebrate all of his music, and I just love it. Uh, number five, Randy Newman. Ooh, okay. Now, a lot of people know him from the Toy Story stuff. You got a friend in me. Totally. And all that shit's great. All of his soundtrack st- stuff is great. It will make you cry. Oh, yeah. 
But his actual records, like especially in the 70s, one called from 75 called Sail Away. Bob got me into Randy Newman. We used to do a thing on the bus. Everyone would go to sleep, and we would get an iPod out. This is like 2013. Mm-hmm. And we would each, we would share headphones, and we would dial up a song and put the headphones on, and we would just, he, we couldn't hear it both at the same time. Yeah. So you would almost just watch your friend. Oh, you like, oh, you each have your own iPod, or you're sharing headphones? You just share headphones, and just take your headphones off, and dial up a song, and then he would listen. Ah, uh, okay. But you don't know what it's going to be. Like, I would play, or he would say, like, this is, you know, Randy Newman. I would say this is he hated Ryan Adams, so I was always trying to find the Ryan Adams song that would like <laughs> that would that would hit him, you know? Yeah, sure. Never did, by the way. He, yeah. think, he thinks Ryan Adams is full of shit. Okay, but he handed me the headphones and he played me a Randy Newman song called "In Germany Before the War." If anyone who knows that song, they'll understand. And I was immediately hooked. I got all his shit. You can get all of his records used for like five bucks. Yeah, but he has this album called "Sail Away," and I've had a reoccurring dream my entire life. And sometimes I wake up crying from this dream. And I'll briefly tell you what the dream is. Okay. The dream is I'm at a party with my girlfriend or wife. That It doesn't matter. The person's not important, but they're like my partner. Mm-hmm. And we're at a big party and there's people everywhere. And at some point, I can't find her. And so, and at first I'm not that worried, but I start to become more and more worried. Is she like sleeping with somebody else or kissing somebody in a closet or is she hurt or missing? And I'm going room to room looking for her and I'm mm-hmm. starting to get really desperate. Finally, I go outside and there she is, and there's a big group of people around her, and they're they're all talking. She's telling a joke. Everyone's laughing. Yeah. And I go up to her, and I'm like, hey, I've been looking for you everywhere. I'm really worried. And she looks at me blankly, and she doesn't know who I am. Oh. Damn. Now. That's heavy. I don't ascribe a lot of meaning to dreams, um, but that is a reoccurring dream I've had. Yeah. And sometimes waking up sobbing. Interesting. Okay. That's pretty heartbreaking. So this has been my whole life. You've and, sh- you showed up together. And not that, and not that often. I'm talking like maybe once every couple of years, right? But it is a reoccurring dream. I have another one where I'm going to jail. I might tell you that later. <laughs> I'm listening to getting into Randy Newman. This is years later. This is when I'm like 28, 29. I'm on a bus with Bob, like yeah. getting into Randy Newman. He has a deep cut on this record called "Sail Away" called "Last Night I Had a Dream," mm-hmm. and the lyrics to this song are that exact dream. Wow. He talks about uh, in a dream I had last night. You were there. You were in it, and I was in it with you. Saw a vampire. Saw a ghost. Saw a werewolf, but you scared me the most. You kept saying, you kept saying, I don't know what your name is. And I said, you know what my name is. Wow, that's wild. How about that? I thought your dream was going to end with you find her surrounded by a bunch of people and her and Randy Newman are singing a song together. Right, in a box. In a box. With a little piano inside the box. A little tiny piano. <laughs> but how weird is that? A yeah, song from really 1975. Weird. Yeah. It's basically that same dream. That is really weird. That's wild. Yeah. All right. Number five, Randy Newman. Number six is David Byrne. That's kind of newish for me. Talking Heads. Okay. Yeah, that but, is. But I am delegating his solo career. Okay. Talking Heads didn't make my band list, but his solo shit's great. Yeah. Especially the American Utopia, his last album. Number seven, Prince. Nice. Been been a Prince fan since I was a kid. Number eight, Springsteen. There you go. Number nine, Elton John. I think people were surprised that I celebrate Elton John's entire catalog. Because he's fucking great. Why and not? number 10, Tori Amos. She made my oh, top 10. Nice. Big Tori Amos fan. Very cool. All right, let's hear your top 10. All right. Number one, also a Bob, Bob Marley. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, everyone knows I'm a huge Bob Marley fan, reggae right. fan. He's the Beatles of reggae. Token of J. Token of J. If you want to, it's right there. <laughs> uh, number two, Elvis Costello. Yep. I could have guessed that. Big fan. Uh, number three, Tom Petty. Okay. Number four, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen. Yep. Number five, I kind of went for a double thing here because I'm obsessed with this guy's solo records. I did Joe Strummer. Okay. Obviously, it helps that I'm a huge Clash fan and I've always looked up to him as a songwriter and a lyricist and all that stuff. But right. uh, love his solo records. Number six, Bob Dylan. Okay. Number seven, Otis Redding. Mm, nice. Huge fan. Uh, number eight, Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Number nine, 
This is one of our doubles, Prince. Cool. Different uh, number, obviously. And then number 10, uh, another Jimmy, Jimmy Cliff. Okay, cool. So for those who know Jimmy Cliff, another reggae artist, but he kind of dabbled, you know, he kind of he kind of uh, transcended the genre a little bit. People might know, might know the songs uh, You Can Get If You Really Want or Many Rivers to Cross. That was his famous song. I'm kind of shocked Van Halen didn't make my list. I made some honorable mentions more just remember or remind myself, like, wait, why didn't I put it in there? Like, I didn't put the Ramones in there. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, you know, like, even though I'm super tight with John Davis, I'm st- I still love Super Drag so much. Didn't put them in there. Didn't put, like, Tom Waits was another one I was considering yeah. for that. Um, another, when you mentioned a newer artist going into your list, like Low, I had Julian Baker on that mm-hmm. because I've just gotten obsessed with her, her three records she has out. Right. But, uh, well, that's great. Good list. Okay. Thank you for the uh, email, Joe Zappi. That was great tangent city fodder. <laughs> All right. Tyler Hole says, good day. How do Mother Earth? Hey, fellas, after hearing today's breakdown of Screaming Suicide, I decided to write in. It's been a long while. Screaming Suicide has resonated with me on several levels. My dad is a victim of suicide when I was five. I also had some self-esteem issues when I was a teenager, so bad to the point where taking my own life was on the table. Instead of taking the road my dad went on, I got help. With a two-week hospitalization to focus on my mental health, I got the tools I needed to cope. If anyone needs help, you're not alone. Reach out to a friend or a hotline. I just turned 39. This summer will be my 24th and 25th Metallica shows. I'll be taking my teenage son with me to Arlington, which he says if still available, I would love to do the Metal Tales. Thank you for the pod. Thank you for the laughs. From patron Tyler Hull. All right, Tyler. Hell yeah. Is he on the list, by the way, for one of the Arlington shows, the Dallas? Uh, I, you know, I believe I responded to him and told him they were both already taken because oh, they okay. are. Yeah. Well, this might be. Well, first of all, I want to say to Tyler, uh, congrats on walking through that that fucking hard open door, man, and getting the tools you need to to not choose the same path as your father. Amen. That's a, that's incredible. Tangent, because hey, we're that's where we that's what exit we got off of today. Right. Right. Speaking of the metal tales, let's read off real quick. Here's the dates that are as of now available. As the, this episode is airing, there might be some that get filled up before Monday. Both Amsterdam shows, both Paris shows, night one of Hamburg, both Gothenburg shows, both Montreal shows, both Glendale, Arizona shows, and then night two of Detroit is still open. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Munich is both open. Helsinki are both open. Um, Copenhagen are both open. Night two of Warsaw is open. Uh, night two of Madrid is open. Both Boston shows are open. Night two of Chicago is open. And then night two of Minneapolis, and then both Edmonton and both Seattle shows are still open. I think there's some more below this real quick. Uh, let me scroll down. People and need to hop on them. I know. Then all the Mexico cities are, are open. So, vamanos, people. Let's do this. Awesome. Cool. So, if you haven't, you can DM us. Hit us up on Patreon. Just let us know you're a patron. We'll probably double check just to be, just to be safe. No any imposters in there. Don't come at us with that false info. I know, man. Come on. We don't want any of don't that stuff. Don't come at us with the false info. But so we, we still got, obviously, 2024. All those shows are really far away. But, I mean, we got some stuff that's coming up in a few months that we don't have any takers for yet. So any of you in Paris, Hamburg, Amsterdam, holler at your boys. Holler at your boys. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tyler, for the email. Our next email is from Jarrett Baker. Hey, guys. New song, Searching Suicide. I said searching suicide. <laughs> Screaming suicide. Uh, he ty- that he, might have been a typo. That's yep. okay. That's okay. My dad has uh, had passed a year ago, the day of the song, the release, the release of the song. I put out a heartfelt post on the socials and had a moment. Okay, I cried like a little punk. So I get on the socials and see Metallica release a new song. I immediately went from "Oh shit, I got to hear this," but I'm scared because this is how I felt the past year since my dad's passing. So I said, "F it, I need to hear it." And son of a biscuit, it hit me like fade to black <laughs> uh, can hit you, you know. Uh, he goes on to say, got me, uh, got me when I'm down. It lifts me up when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling good, it can level me out to reality. 
a little bit of Tangent City there and getting personal, but you guys are just as, are, are, are just important to me as Metallica. You're the most insightful guys to do this kind of deep dive into the biggest band in the world. You guys make, make my Mondays. Lunar Satan Volume 2, hopefully soon. Keep kicking ass on Metal Podcast. Keep kicking ass and Metal Podcast for life. Well, thanks, Jared. That's really nice. Uh, Clint, Lunar Satan 2 update? I've got three songs written for Lunar Satan Volume 2, and they're real cool. They're, um, man, how do I describe them? They sound like Lunar Satan. Yeah. They're maybe a little rougher around the edge. Well, everyone's heard Lord of the Vampires. Mm-hmm. I basically released that as a single on my birthday last year, and that's on Volume 2. Right. And it all kind of sounds like that. Cool. It's like a little more um, groove, a little more mid-tempo, longer, darker, breathes more. There's not a... I was going to say there's not a lot of thrashy shit, but the second song has a lot of thrash. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I've I got seven more to write, and um, I'm getting this rock album put out. Yeah. And then I've got a, like a piano EP I want to put out. Awesome. And then it's Lunar Satan Volume 2 all the way. Hell yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it, homie. Wade uh, Harley writes in, hey, Clint and Ethan. So I've been listening to a lot of the older episodes, and Clint's love for Load and Reload have convinced me to give those records another chance. I definitely think there are some pretty decent songs in there. My problem is it's just not what I dig most about Metallica. I certainly understand why the boys wanted to try something different after the Black Album. And there are some definite gems in there, but I hear those albums and it just doesn't quite vibe with me. St. Anger's production and songwriting are definitely below par, but at least that album has a ferocity and passion to it. Load and Reload are just a bit too polished, and I can't sense the fury or passion that filled the earlier albums. Maybe because James' songwriting turned more inward and the songs about nuclear war, the death penalty, and drug addiction became few and far between. That being said, those two albums are still important to the Metallica discography, and like St. Anger, it was an important step in the band's evolution. I like enough of both Load and Reload that I'll probably eventually grab both copies on vinyl to complete the collection. Thanks for convincing me to give those albums another chance. Who knows? They might keep growing on me as time goes on. Cheers, Wade Harley. Well, Wade, that's cool. I mean... I mean, see, this is what I'm talking about. See, this is what they don't tell you happens on the news. Right. You got a buddy like Wade who's like, hey, man, I know you dig this shit. I mean, I, I put those two records almost on an insane pedestal. And mm-hmm. I understand. It's like part of my brand here on the podcast. Sure. And he's going, hey, you know what? I checked it out. I don't really like it. And here's what I can appreciate about it. But here's what I kind of don't like about it. But maybe things will change. Cheers. Yeah. That's what life's like outside. Yes, it is. I mean, not always. There's people out there who want to be violent and people who are militant and who want to hurt you. And you got to be careful. The world's not a super nice place. Right. But mostly... The world's kind of like that. Yeah. This is a part of Metallica you like. Not really my cup of tea. Yeah, for sure. It's people who love St. Anger. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like part of my job on the podcast is to, like, give an honest critique of it and be honest evaluation about it. That's why people tune in they, to hear us talk about Metallica. But I hope no one's butthurt about it. Like, I think it's cool that people like it. Yeah, for sure. No problem. No, every, listen, every, everyone, everyone finds their lane, and sometimes it's okay to kind of veer into another lane, and sometimes you might change lanes. You never know. But, um... You know, I was the guy that, like, you know, I liked the singles that came out of Load, Load and Reload back then, but I, overall, I was kind of like, eh. Yeah. Because I was kind of young and dumb, and, you know, and I was so focused on other genres of music that I was getting into and obsessing over. Yeah. But, you know, I eventually pulled my car in the other lane and was like, oh. It's something I used to say a long time ago on this podcast. The pizza's in the fridge. That's right. And it's it'll be there for you. Yeah. I think, and it's kind of like what we tell Nova with food. We're like, we always try food we don't like. Because uh, we just check back in with ourselves. Because right. you never know, you know. Like T- taste change. The code might get cracked. You might, you might reframe it, look at it a different way. You might try it in a different dish with different, cook it differently. Yeah, I'm actually really the pandemic. One of the things it did for me is like I love the idea of just changing your life, changing your mind. Mm-hmm. 
you know there was this idea about me pre-pandemic that i was like a musician type who kind of like looked down on sports i don't really quite have that perception of myself i wasn't interested in sports right but i really wasn't the sports ball guy you yeah know that guy yeah, yeah. Thinks that's funny oh, you're talking about sports ball did someone score a, a touch pass yeah exactly get a goalie i'm like yeah we get it you're a shithead yeah but i did change my mind about it and Me. just dove right in and now i mean shit i'm like way into sports yeah you just have an idea of yourself. I think for me, like I have an idea of myself that I just got tired of. Mm-hmm. Or it's like I, I wear this certain clothes or whatever. And it's like, fuck that. I'm going to decide to change. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to decide to change my mind. You know, what? I'm going to start wearing jerseys. Yeah. Why not? Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Exactly. Maybe Dave Bazan cares. Maybe. I'm going to call him later. Call him later. See what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's going on here? We got more emails? We got a couple more emails here. This one's from uh, Sam Wallabas, our good friend Sam Wise, of course. Oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. Are we going to go into this? <laughs> we can... Why not? Oh, Sam. We've missed you so much. It has been only a few weeks, but uh, you finally graced us with a new electronic mail. The ring's too heavy, Sam. I can't do it. I must climb to Mordor. I my tiny hobbit feet with hair on them. I don't know if I can go forth, Sam. Where's Bilbo? Bilbo Baggins. Gimli! Gimli, are you there? Please. Gim- Gimli, get out of that box, Gimli. <laughs> Gimli's in the box. Gimli's in the Shire. <laughs> they're like they're like at the big fucking last battle with Sauron and the orcs are coming out of hell and shit. And they're yeah. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. God damn it, where's Gimli? They're like, oh, we forgot to take him out of the box in the back box. in the Shire. Yeah, and he doesn't have an axe in there so he can't <laughs> chop his way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well Sam Wall says hey Clint Ethan here's my thoughts on Screaming Suicide I'm a bit mixed it sounds great the production is stellar James's lyrics and vocals are pretty good but the song feels like something from Hardwired and oddly enough reminds me of Atlas Rise uh, listen to the main riff it does have the specter of Atlas looming over it how about that sentence I know right it has the specter of Atlas looming pardon me um but did you notice that Screaming Suicide has the specter of Alice looming over Did you it? happen to notice a looming, perhaps a specter or two of Atlas Rise? <laughs> That's some poetry, man. Uh, he says, it was really awesome to see my boy Roberto has a co-cred on this. Maybe he wrote the main riff. Who knows? Mm. As for Kirk's solos, I've been mixed on his solos ever since Hardwired. It's like, man, you're capable of even better. You wrote the solos for Ride the Lightning, Creeping Death, and so much more. I really hope the the other songs have him stepping it up and finally give some strong riffs from his side. But the subject matter is something I especially appreciate. Having gone through and felt those emotions many moons ago, it's very touching. Overall, I do like the song. Perhaps it'll grow on me after a few listens. Your Shire pal, <laughs> Sam Wise. Yeah, I mean, I see what he means. It does sound like Hardwired. I listened to it um, on the way over here to mm-hmm. HQ1. I listened to the new Dave Matthews song two times. Nice. I want to listen when we're done. A little quick yeah. tangent of a tangent. When we hit, when we say peace and adios, when we're done, before you leave, I want to listen to the Dave Matthews song with you. I've kind of been listening to it on repeat. It's awesome. really good. Awesome. Um, but then I listened to Screaming Suicide and Lux on the way here, getting pumped up for Metallica. It really does sound a lot like Hardwired. Like, yeah. It, 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 we talked about that last week. Kind of a sister record. Right. I agree. The solo isn't super inspired. Um, I don't need them all to be. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they're even writing songs anymore that require it. Like maybe Spit Out the Bone did and Moth did. Yeah. But when I think about all the riffs thrown together for Screaming Suicide, it's like, I don't know, that kind of pentatonic Wah thing kind of works. Well, and, and you got to think about too, some of his most iconic solos are over, aren't usually over just like E chugging yeah. or whatever note chugging. Right. You know, it's like you think of the Unforgiven, it's over this great chord progression. 
you know, the, um, uh, uh, the Ride the Lightning solo yeah. is over a, 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 not just one note the whole time. It's one know? of his best. So he can kind of, and even on Justice too, like he, on those records, he's following kind of, you know, he's composing to what James's rhythm is. And yeah. I think maybe that, maybe that brings more out. So hopefully we'll hear something like that on the record. We're not really sure yet. So. I also think what he, it sounds like he's doing, and we have evidence that he did it for Hardwired is when the song's ready for his solo, he just goes and like improvises and then they sort of piece it together. Mm-hmm. I think what he used to do for something like Ride the Lightning is he would take it home. Yeah. And he would compose a solo. Mm-hmm. I think what we're all hearing is that difference in approach. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing at home when you're writing a song for the song game or whatever, is you'll, you know, I want to put a solo on this. And then you just kind of sit here and you improvise for a mm-hmm. while. And then we kind of, we, we do the same thing on songs, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. But we're not putting out a Metallica record. Right. You know, we're, this is stuff where, you know, this is due Tuesday night. I got to just throw something down and mm-hmm. I'm kind of happy with or whatever. But yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I'm, I, listen, just like Samwise, I, I am wanting to be able to walk into the Shire and hear some great Kirk solos, but time will tell. Time will we'll tell. See. Our last email is from Graham Stark, who also is weighing in on Screaming Suicide. And also from Australia. Good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> okay, he says, good day, fellas. It's been a few years since my last message or email, but I never stopped listening. Quick thoughts on Screaming Suicide. Number one, firstly, great song. Took me a couple listens, but it's a killer track. Number two, one of my favorite Hetfield vocal deliveries and vocal melodies. He absolutely nailed it, and it gives the song a certain drive and momentum. James has the strongest performance in the song. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, as far as the song is concerned, yeah. Yeah, and I like the melody a lot, like especially compared to Lux. I just like it. I like it more. It's There's more going on. Exactly. the descending thing. Exactly, and I love that listen well part, that pre. It's cool. Yeah. Okay, he says number three. I was initially put off by how similar it sounded to Atlas Rise, so he agrees with Samwise, mm-hmm. especially in the intro riff just before the vocals, and it compounded thoughts of a cookie-cutter approach to the overall album thus far and fears that 72 Seasons is just hardwired album version 2. Same sound and mix, same song structures, same album release approach, with Lux Eterna equaling hardwired and Screaming Suicide equaling Atlas Rise. Personally, I've loved it when the boys give us something completely fresh from a previous offering, but we're only two songs in. Number four. I love the guy, but unfortunately have to say Kirk isn't strong in this one and not particularly great in Lux Eterna as well. The intro lead in Wah Sound to Screaming Suicide doesn't fit compared to the rest of the song, perhaps not even Kirk's choice and a production decision, who knows. And the bend in the intro riff makes it a bit hokey, unfortunately. I believe the intro riff gets played later in the song without the bend and it's mu- it sounds much stronger. The two lead parts also just has a disjointed feel, like Kirk is dipping into his trick bag and putting together a puzzle on the spot that doesn't quite fit. Number five, and this is the last one. The song is actually heavier and darker than what I initially thought, probably due to the intro throwing me off. Feels like there's an odd thing happening between major and minor parts, if that makes sense. But when it's heavy and driving, it's great. Probably sounds like I'm knocking the song, but I'm definitely not. I think it's great and I love it. A solid 7.5 out of 10. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks, guys. Graham. All right. Well, cheers, Graham. Thank you for your insight and your thoughts. I, on the I new kind song. of agree with all of it. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I do too. I, I think those are all really fair. And at the end of the day, he's like, "I still love it. I love the song. I yeah. love the band." Right. I, I mean, you know, going back and listening to Hardwire. I mean, there's, there's, you know, whatever Kirk solos that I'm like, "Eh, that's all right," but it doesn't make me go like, "Oh, God, this song sucks." Yeah, I and I'm trying to think now. I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell you how the Leper Messiah solo goes. Right. I can't tell you how this 
the the Trapped Under Ice solo goes. Like yeah. they've got other forgettable solos on their big records. Yeah. I don't even I don't even think I can tell you how the Disposable Hero solo goes. I'm just excited we're getting new Metallica songs. Yeah, me too. You know, and 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 we've said before, like these two signs, these songs are all pointing in a direction. That the record's going to be cool. It is probably going to be like a Hardwired Part Two. Yeah, I agree. but I really liked Hardwired. Yeah, I don't have any qualms about this. Like I'm not going to be the guy in the comment section that's like, it's not like Justice for All. I know, man. Like, oh, great, go listen to Justice. If that's your favorite record, go listen to it. Well, so my friends over at um, the Corner of Gray Street podcast, shout out to Nolan and Bruce, which I think you met Bruce. He came to one of our shows. Yeah. He came to one of the Stapleton shows. Yeah. They graciously sent me that song. Mad, it's called Madman's Eyes. And I wasn't able to listen to it, so I stayed away from the forums. I was just like, I, was just, I had a full day. I just didn't even have time to listen to a song. Right. So I burned the song down. I'm like, holy shit, I'm texting them. I'm like, Guys, this sounds like before he's crowded streets. They're like, yeah, we agree. I was like, I'm like, I don't know if I don't want to get too excited, but like, this is like the best single they've released since Don't yeah. Drink the Water, yeah, which was 1997. That's wild. And they're like, yeah, we agree, we agree. So we're having like a little fucking party, a little three way text party where it's like exciting, right? Mm-hmm. Then I get on the forums. Uh oh. And there's some people who really like it. Most people, just the most negative bitchy Jeez. and and i want to actually make sure that graham doesn't i'm not saying that graham did this graham's analysis of screaming suicide not only do i mostly agree with was very thoughtful yeah of course these are people saying by the way th- these are people and i lurk on these forums all the time there's been a thread going on for like five years about a new album yeah people just bet when's the new album coming i know they've been in the studio what's going to be on it all the speculation they finally drop the single and they drop a drop date for the album a new dave album first one since 2018 yeah these motherfuckers are saying shit like the toms don't. The toms are EQ'd too dark. <laughs> Carter, I mean, solid performance by Carter, but the symbols are dark, and the toms need to have been EQ'd a bit brighter. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? All you've dude? been begging for is a new record. Then, and then we get a, a new song, and then you've got everything negative to say still about it. Some guys like the choruses are great, but the 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 verses vocally lazy first of all if dave's halfway intelligent which i believe he is he ain't reading this shit no but if he's reading this stuff he's got to be going i can't win with these, these people who supposedly love me more than anyone in the world mm-hmm. and i cannot please them no but that's how it, that's how it works when you're a, a, a band that big there's just no way around it. it's like james said and like i think he said it in the spit out the bone making over he's like don't read the comments i had to turn it off but yeah. almost like the news we we're talking about because i was thinking to myself man my real, my in the real world reaction to the song, I was so happy I could have cried because yeah. it's so good. And it just, I would, it would end and I would just start it over. Mm-hmm. I haven't felt that in so long. Like I just, I really loved it. And then when I started texting with Bruce and Nolan about it, we were just like kids again. Yeah, man. So And fun. then when I got on the forum, it was just so negative and so, it was just such a bummer. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? That's why I don't get on these things because it just kind of took my joy away. Are the people that are saying stuff about the Tom EQs and all that crap, right? In general, is that demographic of Dave Matthews fans? Do they have like the pinnacle record? Is it Crash? Is it you know Under the Table and Dreaming or you know in the in the Dave community, the general consensus is that he has what's called the Big Three, okay, which are Under the Table and Dreaming, Crash, and Before His Credit Streets, generally considered to be all untouchably flawless, right. and I feel that way. Okay. Some people, myself included, call it a big four, and we include the Lily White Sessions, yeah. which was an unreleased, basically a collection of, not demos, but half-recorded songs. He then sort of cleaned a lot of those up and put out another a, a official record called Busted Stuff. Yeah. that And that's the Lily White Sessions, right? It's basically the Lily White Sessions, but some of the arrangements are different, some of the songs are cut, and there's some new songs on there. Okay. So it's a kind of bastardized, cleaned-up version 
But when everyone, I remember in real time, when we heard the Lily White Sessions, it felt like Before These Crowded Streets Part 2. Mm -hmm. And that's the most beloved Dave record. Okay. So everyone, no, there's no one who shits on any of those records. Yeah. There's no one who doesn't like, I've really, no, no one complains about those records at all. After the Lily White Sessions, well, but even before he did Busted Stuff is when they made a really shiny pop record with Glenn Ballard called Every Day. I like that record. That I love, mm -hmm. but it's their St. Anger. Yeah. And so that's the demarcation line. And people have been kind of complaining Mixed results ever since then. Right, right, okay. They made a record after that called Big Whiskey after Leroy died that I think is really good. Yeah. And then they made another record with Steve Lillywhite who did Crash and Under the Table and Before He's Crowded Streets. So everyone thought like, oh, they're back with Steve Lillywhite. Mm -hmm. eh, it doesn't sound good. Good songs. I mean, Metallica was back with Bob Rock for St. Anger, so. Exactly. There you go. Away From the World, which is the one I'm talking about, is similar to Death Magnetic in that it has like production problems. Mm -hmm. Songs, can't really tell if the songs are good or not because it's not fun to listen to. Yeah, sure. Come Tomorrow, which is when I got back on the ride in the summer of 2018, as documented on this podcast, I loved it, but I did. I was getting back on the ride. Mm -hmm. The story of that album is it's a bunch of songs that were recorded like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago that they just sort of polished up. So it's got a very disjointed like collection of weird songs. Right, it's not yeah. a cohesive album. Okay. The idea about this new album is it was written during quarantine. It's a cohesive album. The new single sounds dark, like Don't Drink the Water. It's got strings on it. Yeah. Since Boyd's been fired. Yeah. Lyrically, a return to form. And so anyway, but people will just find anything to complain about it. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we've had our criticisms of stuff, but I think you just have to thread that needle of like, listen, man, you just need to be grateful that one of your favorite bands is putting some shit out. Yeah, for real. I often compare like that, that, that musical comment section kind of vibe you're talking about. Compared a lot to like the Star Wars community, like in, mm -hmm. in the I love Star Wars stuff. It's mm -hmm. so fun for me. Right. But I've got a lot of friends that's like when like whatever, you know, whatever new episode came out, the you know, um, Rise of Skywalker. Nah, it's not Empire Strikes Back or right. Return of the Jedi. You know, they're basically comparing it to Master of Puppets and Red right. Lightning. And I'm like, first of all, you're not the same age you were when those records and movies came out. Right. They, they're they're going to hit you different as a 10-year-old or a 44-year-old. Right. Way different. Yeah. You know, and so you, it's impossible to go into a new Metallica record, a new Dave Matthews record, a new Star Wars movie with the same mindset you had when Master of Puppets hit you or when Before These Crowded Streets hit you. Mm -hmm. Impossible. You can't, you don't have the same mind anymore. So yeah. it's, so it's, it's not going to, it's never going to hit that expectation that you think it's going to, you hope it's going to. Oh, it better sound like this. It better be like this. It's just not. Well, Metallica is a unique band too, where after their first album, starting with Ride the Lightning, you had people complaining about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least Dave, at least the Dave Matthews complainers will concede that there was a solid eight-year span that <laughs> right. he made some pretty great shit. Yeah. He's always being compared to those first three. Yeah. Or four, if you consider the Lily White uh, sessions, which I do. Yeah. But Metallica, I mean, you know, they were getting shit in 84. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're used to Acoustic it. Acoustic guitar and play the black. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, which I, I, well, I, what, what I would rebuttal... Go listen to the Bridge of Phantom, Phantom Ward. Ward, yeah. Acoustic guitar. Well, and here's what I'd say to all those knuckleheads. They got better when they brought acoustic guitars in. Yeah. I mean, agreed. it just made them better. Unforgiven. I mean, Battery. Look at the intro to Battery. Yeah. The intro to Injustice for All. Yeah. I think there's acoustic shit going on in that really pretty part of one. Yeah. yeah the D part or whatever. But yeah, it's it just... It, the, the, the acoustic 12-string is like immaculate sounding to me on Fade to Black. Absolutely it is. It was just like one of my favorite sounds as a kid. I just love that part so much. Mm -hmm. Anytime I would go pick up a 12-string in a guitar store because I never could afford one... I'm playing Wish You Were Here. I'm playing Over the Hills and Far Away by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And I'm playing Fade to Black. Yeah. That's one guitar I've never owned. I've never owned a 12-string electric or acoustic. It's fun. 
I think I need to get, you get one, one I bet, guarantee you, you get one, you're going to write 10 fucking songs. Oh, for, for sure, yeah. Anytime I get a new instrument, I write like 10 songs in immediately yeah. with them. I always like what John Davis has always told me about anytime you get a guitar, he's like, or it's like an old guitar, he's like, man, there's still songs built into yeah, it. Yeah. Or like a new, a new guitar, he's like, can't wait to see what songs come with this. There's you know? sorts of language about that that I think creative people use to try to explain what feels magical about it. Yeah. I mean, there's not really songs in there. Of course. But it ins- there are songs in you. Yes. And that instrument is digging things out of you. Yep. And it's it's why, like, you know, I don't know if, if Callie's like this. And my, my wife gets it now. We've been together a long time. She's a smart girl. But there was a sense to her that's like, man, how many, you really need all these guitars, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they all kind of do different things and they all pull different things out of me. Yes. And it's like just having like a, a utility belt, like a tool belt tool belt yeah absolutely it is or if you sit down on the piano and it's like maybe it's kind of a gnarly upright you're going to feel differently creatively than it's sitting down at like an immaculate grand baby grand yeah in a concert hall absolutely or i i've, I've often hap- had this happen i'm trying to write something and it's just not I'm not feeling it playing whatever guitar I'll, I'll try something totally different i'll try to write something while playing chords on my lap steel mm-hmm. or i'll grab my baritone mm-hmm. and play the same chords but now we're five steps lower. I'm like, I will, oh, this is cool. I often will tune my guitar. Just I'll just tune, move the tuning keys mm-hmm. to where it just sounds like a thing, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know the chords. I mean, I've written entire songs. There's a song on Vampire called I Got You that I tuned. We got Nova a uh, Baby Taylor, like a small scale yeah. acoustic that she could just jam on. Well, kids don't like know how to make chords, so they just hit the open strings a lot, which doesn't sound good. Yeah. So I tuned it to just something open. I didn't tune it to anything. I didn't like get online and be like, oh, here's an open G, here's an open C. I just tuned all the strings to where when it goes bling, it makes some kind of chord. Right. I don't know what the chord is. Yeah. And I wrote the song, I Got You, where I just picked it up one day and I just found out what made chords that sounded right. I don't know what they are. Yeah. I don't know how to play it. I don't even know what it was tuned to. Yeah. I never like, I should have started the recording by hitting it. Like, yeah. Bing, 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 bing. So I could like reference it, but I don't even know what it's tuned <laughs> You could to. never play that song live now. <laughs> I could do a version of it, but unless I stumbled upon what the tuning was, it's not going to sound like that. Yeah, for sure. But gear does that for you, you know. Um, I guess this is kind of leading into maybe, you know, stem talk, but yeah, not only guitars, but, you know, a bass or pedals or any piece of gear will do that to you. Like, it'll bring something out of you that you maybe didn't expect. Yeah. I've got this keyboard behind me that my buddy left for me when he moved out of town. It's an old 80s synth that has all these crazy cool sounds in it mm. and some weird shit. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just sit down on some headphones on and I'll just get real weird. And I'm not a great keyboard player by any means, but just a sound or like a certain chord. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'll start humming a melody. And then immediately I'm going over here and grabbing a guitar and mm-hmm. trying to flush it out. So oh, yeah. um, that's kind of the, the the power of music and the beauty of owning instruments. Absolutely. Well, and, you, you know, anyone, any of us who do this, whether it's professional or a hobby, you're going to get bit by that. I mean, it's just there's just so much great shit out there. Mm-hmm. And so many of these things do kind of slightly different things and... There's a part of me, too, I think, that, like, when I was a kid, I would look in these guitar magazines and just be like, I mean, I had, like, a mail-order Mexican-made Strat. Yeah. That if anything happened, I mean, it's all I had. Yeah, sure. Eventually, I got, like, a, it was called an Epiphone Les Paul Special 2. They're, like, $150. Yeah. But that was, like, my Christmas gift. So then I had two guitars. I had a Les Paul and a Strat. I mean, it's a big deal when you're that age. But then you just sit around and dream about all the shit that you could own. Like, it's just like in a dream world, I would have all blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you get to a certain age, especially for us, if we do it professionally, you can really justify a lot of the expenses. There's something about it that's like taking care of the kid in you. Yeah. Bob did this really intense therapy where what you do is, like, he had a tough time with his parents. Okay. And he did this kind of intense therapy where what you do is you go into your childhood home. And there you are as a kid. There are your parents, young in their 30s 
and you go into your childhood home and no one knows who you are. You're a stranger. Yeah. The parents are going, who are you? Get out of our house. You ignore it. You go to your, the kid who is you and you pick them up and you carry them out of the house. And the parents are going, what are you taking? Where are you taking my son? Where are you taking my son? And you say, you cannot, you can't take care of him. Yeah. I'm going to be taking care of him from now on. Right. And you carry yourself out of the home that you were abused in. Now that's heavy shit. That's really heavy. Now I'm not doing that. But there was a part of me that the kid in me that I still stay in touch with and care about because it was me. I'm just the same thing with same bones, mm-hmm. same skin. Yeah. There's a part of me that wants to take care of him. Yeah. And part of that is getting a cassette collection and buying the guitar mm-hmm. and getting those guitar pedals. Absolutely. And putting the, you know, eraser head poster on the wall. Mm-hmm. Part of that is nurturing and caring for that little kiddo who maybe had a tough time sometimes and just connecting now and then. Yeah, absolutely. It totally is. I mean, now that may just be bullshit. Me trying to convince my wife, I need another Les Paul. Right. But, uh, and, and by the way, I'm drop, trying to connect. <laughs> that's why I needed to give some explore. It's just, it's just, it's just taking, you know, it's, it's, it's merging the past you with the future you. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need roads. But we need guitars <laughs> and vinyl. Well, let's talk a little bit about, before we get out of here, because I know people are curious about this, let's talk a little bit about how we we do the process. now. Yeah, the stems for the Deep Cut Dive episodes. So someone <laughs> so someone DM'd me about how you do the drums. So why don't I'm going to pass that along to you, and uh, okay. why don't you tell us... I did know enough to say, I think he uses a program called Easy Drummer. Yes, I do. Um, but I program drums also, not nearly as well as you, but well, let's talk about what Easy Drummer is. And like, Yeah, so Easy Drummer is a plug-in you can use in any recording software. You know, the same way you use a compressor, EQ, all sorts of things like that. And it basically has drum samples loaded into it. So at no point I'm actually sitting down on a drum kit with drumsticks and playing drums. Right, and we should say too, so a, a plug-in is something like you put an effect on something. Yes, what yeah. you're even talking about is a virtual instrument. Virtual instrument and a plug-in, you know, it could be something I think a lot of people are probably, even non-musicians are familiar with, is reverb. Yeah. You know, or you go into a, a, a big hall and clap your hand and you hear it echo. Right. Like echo is an effect. So right. pl- those are plug-ins or can be plug-ins. And this is no different. But this one, th- the difference is that there are drum samples loaded in. There's a picture of a drum kit. And then... What I find interesting about the way you do it is... so. What a lot of people would do if they're programming it, they're using software that has samples of drums. So yes. basically somebody recorded a snare. Yeah. And they recorded it at different velocities, and then they put it in this database that's part of this software. Right. So that when you bring it up, what most people do is they have it connected to a keyboard or like a drum pad. Yeah. So when they hit a certain pad, it correlates with the kick drum or the hi-hat or the snare. And you can actually play that pad or play a keyboard mm-hmm. like a drum kit where you're going kick, kick, snare kick kick snare and i've gotten to the point where i can like do the hat doing you know an eighth note hat while doing a kick pattern right. while doing the snare and then you can overdub cymbal crashes yeah or you can overdub shakers or tambourines or whatever you do it by actually just pulling the notes in i do it all manually right. so now i have a really tiny midi controller that i use just for some key stuff but mm. um i have in recent months because you and johnny both have asked about this I've tried to do it with my fingers, and it's like I I feel it's it's way too slow for me. Sure, which it seems like it should be the faster way to do it. Yeah, but ever since, um, and this is all through what's called MIDI, which means Musical Instrument Digital Interface. You can can you hear me pushing on my glasses when I said that? A MIDI controller just enables you to take any sound 
and con- play it with a controller. Yeah, it's triggering that sound. So you could do, with a MIDI controller, if you bring up a, a virtual instrument that's like a cello or a violin yes. or a drum kit or a synthesizer or even a voice, mm-hmm. and you when you correlate it to a certain key on the keyboard or if you're using a pad, a, you know, a grid of pads, it'll just call that sample. Right. And so where I do it manually is there's a screen that comes up where on the left is a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So those same things, you know, things Clint's talking about correlate to each key. And it looks like the last Tool album, by the way. That looks like Fear Inoculum. My screensaver. Yeah, I like. I don't know. I just like that one. It's just kind of dreamy, and I don't know. That kind of makes me want to get that because it looks like Fear Inoculum. It's uh, it's just stock. It's stock. But so what I do is I'm essentially entering these MIDI notes in, and by that I mean there's a grid. It just looks like a massive game of tic tac toe, and. Each little square, you know, you're, you're following all the beats of the song. And so everything's in time. They call it quantizing. But I literally just, you know, right click. Well, but hold on. By that, what you mean is you can snap it to the grid. You can snap it to the grid. The way, so if I, were to, if I were to do it like Clint does, for instance, where I'd use the keyboard, you usually want to you know, eventually select all those notes you just played mm-hmm. and quantize them, snaps them to a grid, makes it in time with the tempo of the song. And there's all sorts of ways to make that breathable because yeah. if you snap it really you can control how much you quantize it yes i always snap it and then you can snap it by different subdivisions mm-hmm. of of the notes you know if you want to snap it to quarter notes eighth notes 16th notes but you can snap it and then i always snap it and then bring it down to like 70 percent. yeah a little it gives it more of a human feel yeah it just makes it breathe more so it's not so like robotic yeah rigid well, when depending on the music and the song you want that like and metal a metal, lot of metal double stuff. kicks you want it to be tight yeah like i did a lot of the programming for lunar satan stuff or um and it's it's like to the grid yeah you know because it has it should be yeah but so i i essentially do it manually i i i, I go in and i start with just the uh, whatever my kick and snare pattern is going to be boom got boom boom got and i'll do that for eight bars and then I'll get my hi-hat programmed. And then from there, it gets quicker because then I can start copying and pasting, mm-hmm. um, which kind of sounds like cheating in a way. But I basically, if I so for the song game we do every week, I, I'll write a song on a guitar, electric, acoustic, doesn't matter. And then I'll go into Logic, which is what I use for recording, and I'll start programming what I think the drum should be. And I'll, it'll be very basic. It'll just be like, here's the beat with a hi-hat, here's the chorus with a ride symbol. Mm-hmm. And then I copy and paste all that, and then I start recording instruments. And once I've recorded everything else I want to have on there, maybe excluding vocals, I'll go back in and fine-tune it as, as with a drummer's mind. Mm-hmm. So that's where velocities come into play. Where Phil's it, velocity. Exactly, and even on the hi-hat. And so, so the hi-hat's not going, you know, it's more a kind of ghost note thing, they call it. It just gives it more a human element, which is why a lot of times I've sent people songs or whatever, and they're like, oh, wow, these drums sound great. Did you track them at home? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I tracked them with my fingertips. Right. You know? Um, I, mean, I just say, yeah, like, yeah, I did do that at home. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah, sure did, man. You should come check out my setup. Actually, don't come by and check it out because it's not there. Um, so that's, I guess, in a nutshell, how, how I do the drum stuff. It, it does obviously take a lot of time and practice. And, you know, I, I first got into it when GarageBand first came out. I had a version of Pro Tool, like Pro Tools LE, it was called back then, mm-hmm. and a little M box and on, air, on airplane flights to gigs. GarageBand came out, and I would I I just saw that it had a whole MIDI option, and I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" And I had messed with that program Reason mm-hmm. before, before that. Reason was huge. It was huge, and I ended up using that a bunch for drum stuff, for keyboards, and all that. You know, people would send me uh, what are they called refills, mm-hmm. you know, for that. Yeah. But I just, I mean, I no one really ever taught me. I just it was, I was kind of self taught with programming. I just it, it was my time killer on airplane rides. 
Right. I would just sit there and program drum beats and funny songs and goofy things with keyboards and drums. And eventually I got good enough at it to where it was passable, where somebody wouldn't know that mm-hmm. it, I didn't actually play it. Right. And that felt good. I was like, damn, I've gotten to that point where I can do that. And like, even drummers are like, dude, your drum tones are sick. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. Right. <laughs> they were recorded at whatever studio in Sweden. I didn't do it. But, um, so I hope that makes sense as far as the drums go. I mean, um, well, and what's fun about it too is you can get all sorts of different kinds of packages. I mean, I have, yeah, I have a lot of different kinds of drums. I have a program called Battery that's like more of electronic post Malone type stuff. But mm-hmm. the drumming package that I have, you can get like one that's called Abbey Road drums that's yeah. like all the samples from like 50 sounding kits. You can get, they're called like Modern Drummer. There's a one for metal. Yeah. And then you can change out the snares, you can change out the kick drums, you can. You when you get under the hood of it, you can really change a lot of the sounds. Of oh the yeah, a lot. And, and what's funny is all these years. I mean, I've been using Easy Drummer, which is made by a company called Tune Track. Uh, if you go to the website, you can you can watch videos of how they make all the samples, all this. It's very intuitive web website. Mm-hmm. But um, they have a, a the the battery version of that called Superior Drummer. Yeah. And for some reason, I've I've just always used Easy. I have Drummer. it. Yeah, I've never owned it. And it's basically the same thing. Yeah, and I know it's more intuitive where you can I think you can move mics and all this yeah. shit and stuff. You but, can control like room mics and shit. Yeah, and like, you know, but I mean Easy Drummer is as intuitive as I I need or want. Yeah, really. Sounds great. I mean, even the I just sent, you know, uh, Johnny sent us a song this week for the song game, which was kick ass, by the way. Maybe we can play on the show sometime with him. Uh and Clint immediately started doing a mix of it. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny was like, Hey, can you use some drums on it? I'm like, sure. So the other night I did it. And even the newest, I, I just recently upgraded to Easy Drummer 3. And before I would send Clint, like, it'd be like 10 tracks or something like that. And now it was like, I was like, what, 18 or something? Yeah. There's way more stuff in it now, which makes it even more real sounding and more human sounding, which is really cool. So, um, so anyways, that's kind of drums uh, as far as, you know, programming goes is what we're talking about for these deep cut dives. And um, maybe Clint, can, you can chat about some guitar stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's similar. I don't use any amps. I think people would be surprised to hear that. The technology for amp simulators and cabinet simulators is just so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would challenge anyone to do a shootout of it. Oh, the Pepsi challenge, yeah, for sure. It just, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. The technology is just too good. Mm-hmm. It's too great. Now, live, I'm always going to have amps because I love to have uh, amps. Of but, course. Um, but for doing stuff at home, I mean, the, it just sounds so good. So I don't use any amps. And then I use a multitude of different kind of like amp simulators. The one I use when we do the deep cup dives is I've got the diesel amp that James has. Yeah. I got the UAD version, meaning there's a company called universal, uh, audio and I have all their hardware. I think they make the best stuff ever. So I have, I have their hardware interface. I have a little travel interface. I can link them all together for the DSP because they use digital processing. That's not in your computer. Right. It just uses it in its own hardware. So anyway, I buy all my shit through them and I bought that amp, like that comp- diesel part. A lot of the, all the big companies partner with UAD. Yeah, same thing with drum stuff. And yeah. they'll make UAD versions, like approved versions of all this stuff. So I use that amp. You can dial it. It looks exactly like if you had the amp sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Every knob is the same. Every like bias is the same. You can change out the tubes. And then you can, when you get into the cabinet stuff, you can really start controlling what mics, if you want to double mic it. The tubes, really? Yeah, you can wow, change wow. out like power tubes. some EL84s in there. Exactly. That's cool. Well, because they just sampled it all. Yeah. So that you can basically do whatever you want. And then I got this thing called an HX Stomp Live that you know about, mm-hmm. made by Line 6 of all people. Uh, I now have a second one for the, for the studio. Awesome. And it has a bunch of amps and cabinets in it. That's what I did the last Screaming Suicide with. Yeah. And you can just dial, just the control you have to dial it in. 
it, it's nice too for home recording as well whether it's programming drums or doing what Clint's talking about with with digital amps and amp modeling guys like us have our studios at our house and our wives are asleep or your yeah. kids asleep and you can't crank a yeah. AC30 at midnight you know but if you feel like recording late at night or whatever you know I'll either use you know I've got the Strymon Iridium that was on my pedal board mm-hmm. it's a amp modeler same kind of thing and a cabinet simulator I also have a thing called a load box over here that lately I've been running my old 70s basement through. Mm-hmm. It's essentially acting as like it takes the load, the power load from the amp that normally would go into the cabinet. And then from there I can run it into logic mm-hmm. and bring up basically what's called an impulse response. It's almost like a it's digital a image. Yeah. A digital audio image of any cabinet you can think of. You yeah. can find all these online. Yeah. It's pretty cool. The possibilities are so endless with tone and finding what you exactly want to, to your playing style, whatever you're writing. You know, I mean, I've got whatever, a pack of Jensen cabinets, speak, mm-hmm. speakers or whatever, and you can find Mesa Boogie ones, Fender, whatever you can think I of. I found all these dudes on YouTube when I was getting into the, the HX Stomp, and it's mostly like worship nerds. Yeah. Because worship nerds just pour all of that, <laughs> all that shit into their tone. They're yeah. like really knowledgeable and great with tone. Yeah. And I say worship nerds affectionately. I was a worship nerd for a long time. I found a bunch of those guys, and I bought their packages. You know, they'll sell like a package of their impulse responses where mm-hmm. they... they imaged their cabs and you know they're all like they're nerds they're like this is a greenback this is a 412 greenback with a jensen the retubed you know yeah for sure and they'll put a whole package together of like i don't know like 50 presets yeah and then like 10 impulse responses of cabinets for like 30 bucks and and there's and there's obviously a lot of you know gear purists out there that look down upon this stuff you know i'm 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 of the mindset well i'm like you where it's like if i'm playing guitar live i want an amp behind me Mm -hmm. now i will blend in the iridium or whatever if you're using the hx stomp or fractal whatever but i mean metallica's on amp modeling live you know a lot of big bands are doing that you know and in the touring department it's like it really does help it's especially with the text where it's like you're not having to worry about retubing amps you're not worried about gear breaking you're not worried about power issues going from america to europe yeah and it and it's gonna sound you know and amp amps are like real tactile things that sometimes amps sound different in different rooms yeah for sure or you know the regulating weird. the power mm-hmm. and the deal with the fractals or Kempers or whatever those are yeah. is your shit's gonna James Hetfield's tone's gonna sound like James Hetfield no matter what country or type of arena or stadium or whatever the yeah, fuck exactly when they do these tiny little shows at Webster Hall it's gonna sound like James Hetfield yep exactly so I get it. And the technology's come so far. And, and real fast, too. I mean, I mean, and even, gosh, shout out to Line 6. I mean, when they put out the pod back in 98, I think it was, mm-hmm. that was like the first real good amp modeling thing. Yeah. I still have the original one. It's still, I mean, it sounds killer still. If you can really dial it in, it sounds good. Yeah. But, I mean, now it's like with, I mean, some of the stuff you've played me through that HX Stomp, it's like, I wouldn't have known that was, you know, yeah. a, not a real tube amp, you know, glowing in your studio. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. It's you know? really cool. You know, and and for uh, and for bass stuff, I basically do this kind of what Clint's talking about. I I just most people in the studio, you you might blend a direct signal with an amp signal. At home here, I never record bass with an amp ever. You know, lately I have been running through that basement you know, with the with the cab loader, mm-hmm. but usually it's just through a compressor direct. And I've got another plug in. Um, TuneTrack makes another whole line of things called Easy Mix, and there's a bunch of cool mixing presets, mastering presets. And there's a, a couple amps in there randomly, and there's this one bass one that it just fucking sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And everything I record, I run that, run through that. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of a quick. It's pretty simple. I mean, it's as simple as ever to make good sounding music. Yeah, for I sure. I encourage everyone to like GarageBand's free. I mm-hmm. think, but I think Logic's only like hundred bucks, hundred ninety nine. So it's two hundred bucks. Yeah, but then you have it for life. And Logic is 
definitely like the second most popular industry yeah. standard DAW. Yeah, for sure. After Pro Tools. Yeah, of course. Pro Tools, obviously the industry standard, but um, but even GarageBand, I mean, it's like it's free and they've made GarageBand now, it basically looks like Logic. Yeah. So, you know, I've had friends that are getting into recording. They're like, hey, I got GarageBand. Can you show me some stuff? And now I can, because I haven't, I didn't use GarageBand in almost 20 years at one point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know if I remember GarageBand. Then I opened it up. I'm like, oh, it looks like Logic. Yeah, I got you. Right. Logic, Logic and GarageBand are both made by Apple. So yes. it's like, Logic is kind of the big boy version. Yeah. But GarageBand's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I used GarageBand for like four or five years, you mm-hmm. know. I um, did too. Because that, you know, it, it was just installed on every Mac back then, you yeah. know. And I had a little M Audio interface and yeah, had, I did my, too. had my pod. And I, did, did I still so have my, uh, it was called an Mbox. Yeah, Mbox. I had one of those. Too. I still have it. I, I remember trying to sell it for like 25 bucks. <laughs> you couldn't? No, it's just in my garage. I mean, I don't think, yeah, those things are kind of worthless now, unfortunately. That's the downside of some. Some gears that it, it gets obsolete. Very obsolete. Unless yeah. you unless you're looking at like a studio like Smokestack where you've got these amazing compressors from vintage gear and stuff like that that's always gonna hold value and sound amazing. I think stuff. that's the tough thing with the the um like software too, like plugins and stuff. And now everything's moving towards um like subscription based subscription based. Yeah. I don't love and, that. And I'm like, man, I, if I'm gonna pay for it, I wanna own it. Yeah. And and I want you to be able to service it if it doesn't work or if, like cross grade it if like as we all grow with technology. Yeah. This product that you made that you sold me that I bought, I want you to help me make sure it works. Yeah. When you're just doing the subscription model of when you want to end it, you don't have it. So where did your money go? I mean, yeah, it's like, exactly. It's like it's almost like it's like renting a place rather yeah. than having a mortgage and owning it. Yeah. You know? I'm pretty sure at least the main version of Pro Tools is now subscription based. Yeah. You know? I and, think everything's gonna move that way. I mean, as of now, you know, logic is still two hundred bucks, it's yours. Yeah. If people want to get a little more serious about recording, want to get Logic Pro and you got the the jangle, then I would encourage people to download it. If not, get GarageBand, get to know it, you know? And I think I think they even make GarageBand for PCs, too. So yeah. if, whether you're on PC or Mac, you could definitely get to know that stuff. I think if you have, like, 500 bucks, or maybe even a little less, I mean, we could probably crunch some numbers, but you can really get up and running for not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get a cheap condenser mic. Yeah. I mean, I still, I, most of my vocals are still recorded with a, I think it's a, $200 and you can get stuff for even less than that a $200 like AKG mm-hmm. and I still I just love the way my voice sounds on it right you know and I hate my voice so that's good <laughs> you know so um, or even if you know you get a, a SM57 one of the most universally used yeah. mics of all 97 time 97 bucks 97 bucks well there you go there's the whole tutorial about how we do it um, maybe we can find a way in the future to like do a zoom hang where we can kind of crack open a session and like show yeah. people that might be fun yeah for sure absolutely I would love to do that um, I have to go. We're dealing with some house stuff. Yeah, you and, are. Uh, our home inspection just got done, and we're going to go hopefully assess the... Hopefully it's not bad news. Well, I hope that for you. Uh, thanks for coming to HQ1, of course. Happy thanks to. everyone for listening. Good to be back. That was a fun tangent city. That really was. Right into Metal Podcast Show at gmail.com if you want to uh, have your thoughts read on the show. Who knows? We might do it. I don't know. Yeah, and sign up for a Metal Tales. Maybe you're the kind of person that wants to live in a box for a couple of weeks. Maybe write in and let us know what that's like. Yeah, how that box life is going. Maybe that lady in Dallas is a fan of the show. <laughs> and just listens in a box. At my daughter's gymnastics last night, we were leaving, and one of the like ladies that works there was like, hey, um, me and some of the ladies here, we heard you do a podcast. Uh-oh. You're like, I do three. I was like, oh, man. And like we were like trying to walk out, and she was like, what are they about? I was like, God. Are they a murder mystery podcast? I was like, well, one's about the band Metallica. She was like, ooh, I love Metallica. Oh, wow. Well. Like, okay. I was like, the other two are just me and my friends just trying to be funny, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, I just don't want to talk about it. I know. I know. It's interesting. I get that every once in a while. Oh, I heard you do a podcast. What's it about? I'm like, oh, it's all about Metallica. Like, really? So what kind of stuff do you cover? I'm like, oh, just all of it. Everything. <laughs> just, you know, what my actually what my thing is now, and then we'll end this, is 
what would you like to hear in a Metallica podcast? Well, you, you talk about like the albums. I'm like, yeah, we've covered it all, dude. I promise. <laughs> the answer is everything. I mean, if we haven't this far in, then we've failed. We've let everyone down. So anyway, about Master of Puppets. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we love you guys. We'll see you on the flippity floppity piece. Adios. <laughs> you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>